Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. one pitch to Donovan. Base hit. Out to right. Down into the corner. Two runs will score. Brendan Donovan with his second double of the night. St. Louis on the board and it's now a 5-2 game. And Dylan hits a high fly ball into deep right. And it's gone! Opposite field. Bob by Carlson. One swing. And he's tied it. 3-2 pitch, driven out to deep left. This baby is out of here. Cardinals have their first lead. Goldie with home run number 13. Moment of honesty here, Alex. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Did you think that the Cardinals had any chance in that game about midway through the fifth inning? Down 5 nothing. You had... Very little going offensively. You were struggling once again with runners in scoring position. The Pirates just hit the hell out of the ball against Zach Thompson. They had five hard hit balls in that fifth inning. They had four in the four innings prior. Did you think that the Cardinals were going to be able to find a way? Well, absolutely I did because I'm not a pessimist and I believe in this Cardinals team, unlike some people, BK. Oh, yeah, I'm the pessimist for this Cardinals team. At the end of the day, Mitch Keller, who uh, I don't know if I had my glasses on correctly. He looked like Cy Young out there on the mound. Uh-huh. Uh, but I could see those I mean, resemblance. The guy wasn't able to get through the whole game. And guess what? Pittsburgh's bullpen. I believe somebody one, very intelligent once told me that it's like a minor league bullpen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, once, team. so once you got into it, I figured, hey, who says no, right? This is the thing that has stood out to me about the Cardinals lately. They seem to have that it factor. They have the. They have the feel about them that they're never out of a game, even when they're down five, nothing. And I know it was the Pirates. Save your texts. I don't want to hear it. I don't care. Honestly, when you're down five, nothing, a lot of teams say, all right, (laughs) time to pack it in for the night. We got two tomorrow. It was a good run. See you guys. It's a hundred degrees. Let's go ahead and get this thing over with. We're done here. Hit the showers, boys. The Cardinals don't have that. They take every at bat personally. I remember Ollie mentioned that about, I think it was Juan Yepes earlier this year. And I loved that quote. He takes every at bat personally. 
And you saw it last night with the bottom of their order. Tyler O'Neill, two for four. Brendan Donovan, three for four. Dylan Carlson, two for four with uh, that extra base hit that ended up going out of the park. That's the kind of thing that this team was missing over the last few years is getting those kinds of contributions from the bottom half of the order. Let me see if I can beat people to their text on our Air Comfort Service okay. text line 65780 because I'm I'm assuming people are are heated right now hearing you say that BK, but they were trailing the Pirates 5 to nothing. You couldn't get any offense against the Pirates team. You had to come from behind against a bad Pirates team. And you think this is a good team? I do. I think this is a really good Cardinals team. I'm with you, buddy. I I think this is a really good team. I think that it factor you're talking about is the same thing that we saw from the Blues throughout the season this year, where at times it didn't look pretty. After those Arizona Coyotes losses, I believe we all came on the air and were like, what the hell's going on here? But you knew that they were still finding ways to win games in different ways. And the fact that they were able to do that with missing individuals, whether it be they're not hitting correctly or they're dealing with injuries, you knew that when they were put together, there would be some type of stretch run. And I told you last week, I just wanted to see because I was still a little cautious. I wanted to see some type of Atlanta Braves run like a win streak. Now, they're not there yet. But for the ability to come back in games like we saw against the Cincinnati Reds and the Pittsburgh Pirates last night, I think that streak is coming. Yeah, I I think eventually you'll get to a place where you're winning, like maybe it's 15 out of 20 or something like that. I don't know if you'll see a 10 to 12 game winning streak. Those are just really hard to come by. But you look around the National League. Did you know that the Cardinals are only three games back right now of the uh, L.A. Dodgers? Oh, like so you're three. saying the Cardinals are the like the second best team in the National League? No, because the Padres are now tied with the Dodgers atop <laughs> the NL West. Well, the Cardinals West, swept by the, way. the Padres, though. Yeah, exactly. So ipso, ipso facto, facto yep, Cardinals best team in the National League, not named the Mets. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> the the Cardinals right now, if you look at where they're at, they're 35 and 27 on the season. They're on pace to have their best winning percentage in an individual season since 2015. They're fifth in run differential, not in the National League, but in all of baseball right now. This is a very good Cardinals team. And that's the numerical side of things. Now, if you just want to look at the, okay, watch the games, BK. Stop telling me about the numbers. Watch the games. They're really good defensively. They seem to have this knack for coming up with big hits and big moments. I saw earlier today, Paul Goldschmidt, I think, leads Major League Baseball this year in go-ahead home runs on the season. Like, there are so many different things that you can point to right now. Yeah, Paul Goldschmidt recorded his seventh go-ahead home run on the season, Alex. That's tied for the most in the National League alongside Kyle Schwarber. It was his eighth home run last night that he has with two strikes. The only guys that have more than him with two strikes on the year are Aaron Judge and Byron Buxton. You can go through Nolan Arenado's having a great season offensively. You look at Tommy Edmond. He's up there in legitimate MVP conversations now. Brendan Donovan has been a revelation. Dylan Carlson looks like he's starting to turn it on. Tyler O'Neill's looking more and more by the day like his self from last year. And now we get the news today that Jack Flaherty's back. According to Katie Wu, Jack Flaherty felt an increase in intensity was more important for him than increasing his pitch count. The Cardinals agreed. So Jack tomorrow is going to make his 2022 major league debut with a roughly 60 pitch uh, limit. 
Andre Pallante was expected to be the starter. He's now going to be used as a bridge after Jack Flaherty. So in other words, they're doing what they refused to do last year. I don't know if it was the front office or the manager that didn't want to do it, but Jack Flaherty was ready to come back if the Cardinals were willing to have him back, but they didn't want to do the piggyback thing. And now they're doing exactly that. So Pallante is going to be pitching tomorrow as a bullpen guy. You're going to have Jack Flaherty getting the start. And now all excuses are off the table. The Cardinals are back to having their one through four in the rotation that we expected. And you expect some sort of injuries throughout the season. So I understand Steven Matz isn't out there, but that can't be an explanation or an excuse as to why you're struggling. The Cardinals are back now. And now we get to find out what they really look like when you have both quality pitching with Jack Flaherty, Wayno, Michaelis, and who am I missing? Uh, Dakota Hudson, your guy. And also all of your your guys back available to you position player wise. It's going to be a lot of fun over the next few weeks to watch. Yeah, look, I can understand people's concern of the fact that the, the Cardinals weren't scoring a lot of offense immediately against the Pittsburgh Pirates. And, you know, they didn't score against Tampa Bay and they weren't scoring against Cincinnati. But I think we all can agree. The one area that I'm not concerned about with this team is their offensive ability. And the, the, the area that I'm curious about and the area that the jury is still out on of if this team is on that contender tier is their pitching side. If they're able to get health back on their side and not overuse their bullpen and able to keep guys healthy. This is it right here for you. This, this is either going to turn people's minds to, okay, this team actually is legit and they can do something special this year or yep. It's exactly what we expected. Jack Flaherty can't stay healthy. You don't have your ace either. Go make a big trade or it's just going to be wild card and bust. Once again, I don't think there's an in-between right now with this Cardinals team because it's, it really does rely solely on Jack Flaherty. So for anybody that is down on the Cardinals right now, I am legitimately curious why you have more of a pessimistic undertone. I, I would imagine it's because of what just happened last night. You didn't score any runs against the Pittsburgh Pirates in the first five innings. You struggled offensively against Tampa Bay, who's a team that you'd be contending with. And you only took two or three against Cincinnati. Isn't that baseball? Like, isn't that just kind of... There's the old baseball cliche, right? You win 60 games, you lose 60 games, and it's what you do with the other 42. That's what determines the outcome of the season. Like, the Cardinals were always going to lose some of those games that you didn't want them to. And that's the Dodgers got swept by, wasn't it Cincinnati earlier this season? Is, is that who it was? I, I keep here. I can look it it's up. It's somebody from the Central. I, it was the Pirates. The Pirates swept Ooh. them two weeks ago. 6 5, 5 3, 8 4. If the Dodgers can get swept in a series, at home against the Pirates, anybody can lose to anybody over a three-game stretch. That's baseball. It's weird, crazy stuff. And it's tends a long season. These are going to happen. I am legitimately curious, though. What would what would make people satisfied with a baseball team? Because I think this is about as much fun as you can have watching a team. Two and zero. <laughs> because like you've got young stars, you've got Albert Pujols, Wayno, and Yadi potentially having their final years together here in St. Louis. Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt are having. What could be close to maybe even exceeding MVP level seasons? Tommy Edmond took that next step as a player. Uh, you've got some really exciting young pitching that's making debuts this season. An unexpected player in Andre Pallante who has taken this thing by storm. I can't really ask for a whole lot more out of the baseball team. And honestly, just from my own perspective, Alex, I look back to like 2006 or 2011. Those teams were not perfect. 
but the story of what got them to the playoffs and then what kind of adversity they had to overcome in order to win the World Series, that makes them all the more special now as we look back on those seasons. Same thing is true for the 2019 Blues, right? That adversity that you go through, the journey along the way, is part of what makes it fun. I actually view this as like an ideal type of a team to root for as a fan. I'm with you. I think the versatility makes this team intriguing. The star power that they have makes it exciting. They've got the youth, which is awesome. You've got a new face in Ali Marmal who's winning over a lot of people. And, And the one thing for me why I think this team feels different than last year is you're you're currently in first in your division. And you're not falling out of it and looking at one month where you have to go on a a historical run. Like, if you're winning and you're losing, you're up and down, you're up and down, that's fine. But you're maintaining your place in in the standings. You're not going through a lull where you lose two or three weeks in a row. And you're sitting here thinking, my God, we're going to have to go on a big win streak to put ourselves back into contention. This team seems like the time that is... They seem difficult to knock off their pedestal, if that makes sense. To where difference this year is the young guys. Well, yeah, but they they feel like you. They feel like once you knock them down, you can't keep them down. And I think some of that is very identical to the way that the Blues played. To where they lose a game, and then it would be like, all right, let's flip the switch and get back to where we need to. That's what this Cardinals team. You lose against the Tampa Bay Rays. Okay, we come out and we beat Cincinnati. You find a way to come back, and then you lose the next day against Cincinnati. Okay, well, we find a way to come back against the Pittsburgh Pirates. I think last year, like you look back at that rotation and what Carlos Martinez was for them a year ago is what Miles Michaelis is for them now. Is that kind of like number two, number three veteran starter that you have available? to you and Michaelis of course was hurt at this point last year and then you look at what they were looking for from like a Johan Oviedo instead of having Oviedo out there now that's Palante who's been giving you those innings or you look at offense wise some of the guys that tried to fill in for you a year ago remember Justin Williams when we were going through that Mm. experiment well instead of that you've got this year Brendan Donovan I remember last year at the very beginning of the season we talked with uh, Mike Claiborne And we talked to him about, okay, what are your kind of overall impressions of the St. Louis Cardinals going into the 2021 season? Said it's a good club, but it's a thin club. They don't have a whole lot of depth. It's the opposite of that this year. The thing that stands out to me about the 2022 Cardinals, you look at that 40-man roster, there's not a whole lot of fat to trim off of that roster right now. It looks like most of it are guys that are contributing, and they either already have or you're expecting them to at some point this year. And that's what changes to me is, man, you get into the sixth, seventh inning, you want to play the matchups, you want to move guys position-wise, you want to go last night, and maybe you want to play for more defense. You've got all of those options available to you right now if you're Ollie Marmol. Last year, you looked at the bench, and sometimes we were like, man, what did you want them to do in that spot? They didn't have anybody to go up against that right-handed pitcher that would have been a better option for you. Or they didn't have anybody to replace for you defensively late in a game. There just wasn't a whole lot of depth. So I think that, to me, is the biggest difference between where they are right now and where they were at this point a year ago. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're talking to Jeremy Rutherford, the Blues insider for The Athletic. He has a piece coming out here pretty soon, Alex, on some updates with Nick Letty and Ville Husso, some of the Blues free agents to be. So we'll try to get some info on that from Jeremy Rutherford coming up at 1130. But next, Ollie Marmel has already won us over, I think it's fair to say. But over the last few days, some of his quotes post-game, he's won us over even further. We'll talk about why next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
with Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis. I'm Brandon Kylie. So I'm going to be honest with you, Alex. I've already. Ali Marmol has won me over. I, that was he won you over when he was hired. It didn't take long. Yeah, the, the, the press conference. The presser at conference when he complimented you on a question oh, you okay, asked. Come on, he's like, you know, that's a great question. PK's like, oh, he's going to be the best manager ever. Oh, he said I had a good question. So that happened. Nailed uh, it. And then I, I, we learned more and more about him. We talked to people that have been around him over the years. And it was clear this is going to be my kind of manager. Like, I, I didn't know how the traditionalist fan would take to Ali Marmol. But the more we've seen him, I think he's got a little bit of that in him as well. And I think that's what plays here in St. Louis. Like you see him the other night sticking up for his guy where Giovanni Gallegos is kind of going back and forth with the ump. The ump steps out from oh, behind the uh, the catcher. Took his mask off. Yeah. And you see Ollie standing up on the top step saying, get the bleep behind the plate. I love it's like, that. all right, let's like, go. I get it. Or him getting thrown out of the game and marking next to the home plate. And then like, Tossed the umpire out of the game. These are things that will endear yourself with this crowd. And I appreciate that about Ollie. The fact that he goes out there sometimes to talk with the pitcher to say, hey, get it together. And then he goes back into the dugout and he takes that upon himself and not putting it on his pitching coach. It's pretty old school. I like that as well. And then you have some of the quotes that we've gotten post game. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you every post game that you watch with Ollie Marble is some award winning situation, but We've seen him be brutally honest, and he only does that when he's already talked to his player about it. But there were a few things that he said over the last few days, Alex, that I think have helped to win us over even more from what it was previously. The first one came over the weekend with the Harrison Bader situation. We didn't get into this too much yesterday. We ran out of time. But here's what Ollie Marmel said after the game. What was this on Saturday? Saturday? I believe it was when Harrison Question Bader mark. was taken out of the game late because he wasn't busting it down the line. Simple, and I had a great conversation with him. He respected it. There's expectations. When it comes to effort, it wasn't met today. So he'll be back in there tomorrow. And here was Harrison Bader the following day when he was asked about what happened and why he was pulled from the game, how he feels about it afterwards. Part of my game is 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 being very emotional in, in one direction, very positively, and sometimes very negatively. And you know the frustration that I bat, I, I took out and you know didn't give my my 100% effort, you know, on a potential ball that could have dropped if he dropped in center field and end up on second or third. And we needed to down some runs. So again, I take everything as a positive. Um, and yeah, listen, you got to wear it. I, I respect my manager at all times, and I respect this game. And you go out there and you just continue to play. And- Respect Bader for giving that quote on this, but I, I I love Ali Marmol's comments on it. Like it's just short and straightforward, and it to me seems like the same conversation he had with Harrison Bader. But he's not BSing around with. You know, he's not he's not saying, oh, well, we just felt like he needed to take a couple of innings off or something like. That. No, he was straightforward. He said he wasn't hustling. There's an expectations for our team, and he didn't meet them. But what I also respect about it is he put the guy right back in the next day. Yeah. That's that's how you win over a younger player. And I know Harrison Bader's been in the league long enough now to where he's starting to get to that veteran status, but that's how you win over a team to where if you make a mistake, you pull him out, you talk to him, but then the next day you're going right back to him rather than penalize him. And I know this is a hockey comp, but John Tortorella is a great example with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Patrick Line isn't busting ass in a game. He sits them at the end of that game and they're down and he doesn't put him back on the ice. Craig Berube's opposite of that is sits him for a couple of shifts 
and then throws them right back out there. There's a difference there, and that's Ali Marmol, and that's respect. So I, we, I knew we were going to get this text. I figured it would come in, and I do think it is worth addressing from the 314. Does he bench Yadier Molina when he doesn't run out plays? <laughs> no, but... If Yadier Molina didn't show any sort of discipline behind the plate or he wasn't uh, putting in the same amount of preparation before the game for being able to work with his pitchers. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that would get Yadi taken out and get him sat down for a while. Why? Because that's Yadi's value. Yadi's value is not running out of play to first. Harrison Bader's value is tied running. almost exclusively into his hustle. Defensively, what is his value? He's really fast, he makes great plays, and he busts his butt constantly. Mm -hmm. What is his value as an offensive player? Man, it's not like Harrison Bader hits the ball the way that Nolan Arenado or Paul Goldschmidt do. He's not a guy that is going to consistently hit it in the air. He does hit it on the ground occasionally, but he busts his butt to first base. He he legs out an infield single, or he's going to find a way to take a single and turn it into a double. He's going to steal second base. Like Those are the things that bring him value to your team. So when you don't bring that value to the field, yeah, that's what's going to get you benched. Whatever you do that helps the team win, if you're not doing that or you're letting up some of that effort that goes into getting to that place, that's how you get benched with Ollie Marmel. Mm-hmm. That wasn't it, though. He also, if you're going to be that kind of, maybe this is overly critical, but if you're going to be that kind of a hard ass when it comes to like making sure your players are getting after it day to day, you also have to be critical of yourself. Yep. I think that's a really important aspect of being a leader. And Ali Marmel last night was critical of himself after a decision to pinch hit for Nolan Gorman. He believed was the wrong one. And then he said it publicly. This is so huge. We had our head wrapped around better defense. Would I do that move again? No. I'd probably let the kid hit. And uh, knowing they only have one lefty, he's going to get another at bat, um, especially in a tied game. There's times you make a good move and it doesn't work. There's times you make a bad move and your players are good enough to overcome it. That's what happened. Dude, I love that so much. This is a young manager, an inexperienced manager, who is learning on the fly. And I feel like he just learned it. The next situation that comes up, Nolan Gorman's taking that at bat. The reason why I love this and why I think it is so important is because when you hold other people accountable, you also have to hold yourself accountable. And if you're doing it publicly, it shows your players, I'm not above you. We are in this together. Mm -hmm. And today, my job is to put you in the best position to succeed. I didn't get my job done today, but you guys helped us get the job done collectively. And there's going to be days where Giovanni Gallegos doesn't cover first base or the next day, maybe it's a defensive play that's not made and the Cardinals are able to overcome that. Everybody on that team has been in a situation where they didn't get their job done and somebody else helps them and they, they find a way to overcome it, right? That's all yesterday. I didn't think it was a huge mistake. I thought it was all right overall. You, you got your defense in there. Not a huge mistake. I didn't have any issues necessarily with that at the time. The only thing that was weird was the, the delay. It took a little longer than what it typically would. But I like the fact that he is willing to publicly acknowledge yeah. if he makes a mistake in game, according to his own beliefs. Yeah, I just I, I like that he is willing to express those thoughts too, rather than shoot down anybody who's questioning it or wondering why he made a move and thinking that I'm always right. No, it's no, I know I messed up there and this is why moving forward, it's not going to happen again. There was one other thing. This is the one that won me over last night that I thought was huge. He explained, or he was asked last night why they stuck with 
Zach Thompson in the fifth inning. And there were runners at first and third, I think, with only one out, and it was already down by five. It's a situation that you typically would ex- expect Ollie Marmol to go to his bullpen. And in this situation, he not only stuck with Zach Thompson, he didn't even have anybody warming in the bullpen. Here's Ollie Marmol after the game explaining why he decided to stick with Thompson in that spot. You watch his demeanor and just overall presence after it happened. He comes in the dugout, and I actually applaud him for the way he handled it. He didn't cave. um, He didn't get sped up. He attacked the zone, and he got beat. And one thing we said early on was one thing we wanted to see him do was throw strikes, attack the zone, and get after it. He did it, and guys beat him in the zone. I love this. I mean, Ali Marmol just basically looking at Zach Thompson and telling him, we need you, and we're not going to take you out despite you being in a jam right now. And I texted you and T-Bone last night. This is Craig Berube 2.0. This is the equivalent of Craig Berube after a game where a goaltender gives up a couple of bad goals or Jordan Cairo doesn't hustle on a play and he says, they need to be better. There's no BSing around it. It's, we need you regardless of the jam that you are in, so please be better. And Zach Thompson was. He got out of that inning for him. To me, that's a that's a a winning mindset of a manager. And then after the game, Zach Thompson, we don't need this cut because we'll get to JR on the other side here in just a moment. But Zach Thompson, after the game was asked about it, and he said, I appreciated the fact that they had that kind of trust in that I didn't come through for the team and I feel like I let them down. But it was huge for me to know that they trusted me to be able to get through that spot. And you know what I love about Zach Thompson, too? Remember last year, the Cardinals were at an innings deficit. They're in L.A. and you've got Carlos Martinez on the mound. And it legitimately came to the point where I wondered, is Carlos Martinez trying to hit the eject button on this game where he just doesn't want to be out there anymore? And it was the first inning, and it was like, man, eventually he's going to have to just wear this. It was one of the worst innings we've ever seen by a Cardinals pitcher. And he barely was able to get through it. Zach Thompson last night, after that home run, line out, ground out, out of the inning, get you through five, we're ready to go into the sixth. Yep. That is huge, man. It was not a perfect start by Zach Thompson by any stretch of the imagination. He was really good through four, and then he ran into that trouble in five. I liked the fact that he responded, and I liked what Ali Marmo expected out of him. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Questions and answers coming up at 1145. Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic is next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. By the way, for all of you asking where Tanner Hendrickson is, he's just been on the longest vacation in the history of vacations. He'll be back, I think, tomorrow, right? No, Thursday, I thought. Thursday. Sometime this week. Why are you trying to get Grant out of here faster? We love Grant. We do love Grant. He's done a fantastic job. But for anybody wondering where Tanner Hendrickson is, he's just been touring the entire great state of Texas. Grant, I think think you Wally pipped T-Bone, buddy. Well... Well, according to BK, he's trying to get me out of here. Yeah, that's on Don't me. tell T-Bone I said that too, though, please. Right now, we're going out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to get our blues updates with Jeremy Rutherford. You can find his work over at The Athletic. You should do that. He's going to have some uh, a great piece later on, either today or later this week, on with some updates on the blues free agents. JR, we appreciate the time, as always, my man. How you doing today? Doing well. Just hoping that Tanner and his grandma had a great vacation. 
It's not just his grandma, JR. It was his grandpa. I think it was his mom, his dad. I like, think it was just mom uh, and dad. No, I thought it was his grandma. Oh, no, his grandma <laughs> told him so. to enjoy these moments because he'll never forget them. Yeah, <laughs> she did. And he's she is right. We like to picture Tanner with his mom and dad, JR, driving through Texas in a station wagon. <laughs> the old he's Woody. in the back seat. He's in the back seat saying, are we almost there yet? <laughs> yeah, I have to Looking pee. the other direction. Can we He's get a happy meal from seating. McDonald's? Um, <laughs> JR, let's talk a little bit about these blues and what they've got going on this offseason. Uh, you, you mentioned to me last night, you're going to have a piece later on about with some updates on their current free agents. What can you tell us? What can you glean for us about their free agents and the latest with them? Yeah, not out yet, but it'll be up uh, at some point this week at the Athletic. Just touching on, you know, what I'm hearing about the uh, unrestricted free agents with the Blues, and there's just a few of them, but a couple big ones when we talk about David Perron, Nick Letty, Billy Huso. You also can't forget about uh, Tyler Bozak in the in that mix. Uh, you know, who knows what's uh, going to happen with his future? Uh, but I think the one thing that I've gleaned in making some phone calls is, you know, something that we probably already knew, but it's going to be really tough to keep all these guys. And I think that's the case from off season to off season. But when you look at the names here, David Prawn, uh, you know, it seems like he's going to go down in, in St. Louis history as one of the, the biggest fan favorites. And I still think there's a really good chance of, of him coming back, but you know, where's the blues offer at? Is it enough? You know, you're only talking about a few weeks left before the start of uh, free agency. You know, is this uh, negotiating in terms of the back and forth with the offers uh, does it eventually get to a point where it makes sense for uh, both sides and David Prine included, and they get a deal done? I think it will, but you got to go through the negotiations. And and then uh, with uh, Nick Letty, look, he he was a good fit here. I think that uh, he liked his time with the Blues. Feels like there's a spot, but he's 31 years old, and if he goes to the market, could probably get four, five, five million dollars on about a four or five year deal. Can he get that in St. Louis? If that's not the case, then he could be looking at the market. And then finally, I think a lot of people expect Billy Husso to move on. You know, the one thing that you hold out hope for if you're a Blues fan is, does he think that he could, uh, you know, play well in the Blues system where he did last year, be that 1A, 1B with Jordan Bennington, or does he think he has a better opportunity elsewhere? And I think what's going to come down to is money. Billy Husso is 27 years old. We can't forget that. And this is going to be his chance to strike. Not only did he have a great season, guys, but uh, the goalie market lends itself for a guy like Billy Huso to step out there. And so I think he honestly could get $4 million plus, maybe, maybe, maybe a long shot here, but as much as $5 million, he's not going to get that in St. Louis. So, you know, the writing appears to be on the wall unless Doug Armstrong were to able, be able to uh, make some other moves to, to make something feasible. So, JR, I want to go back to David Perron because it really does feel like this entire offseason, all roads go back to DP57. Whether he signs or he doesn't sign, that's going to really direct and dictate what Doug Armstrong does. Uh, does it seem like in the rumblings you're hearing that Perron is trying to break the bank or do you feel like that there's a, p- a potential for a, a team-friendly deal? No, I think so. I think all along, David Perron, you know, wants to be back here, expected to be back here at the exit interviews with uh, with the players and uh, Doug Armstrong, Craig Bruby. You know, we heard from both sides that there's mutual interest to bring David Perron back. But at what cost? You're talking about $10 million left in proje- projected uh, calorie, salary cap space. And David Perron had the type of season. And actually, if you look at it the last couple of years, you know, being a point-per-game player last year for the Blues, he could command five, five and a half, 
$6 million, even at age 34. Now, I'm not talking about a four- or five-year deal, but at least for the next couple years, he could get that type of money. Do the Blues, and, and we've seen this with Doug Armstrong in the past, he realizes these players fall off a cliff at a certain point uh, when they get to a certain age. You know, that's why he didn't bring back a player like David Backus, even though he was a physical guy much different than David Cron. You know, over history, we've seen that that's how Doug Armstrong views aging players. And, and so if, if you're him and you want to bring David Perron back, do you do a two-year deal? Do you do a three-year deal? Are you talking, you know, four or five million dollars a year? I don't think the Blues are, are looking at giving David Perron that much. Uh, so I think the, the offer is probably lower than that. Other, otherwise, we'd see a deal done by this point. So, again, I go back to this is still negotiations. You can't necessarily say early in the negotiations with just a few weeks left. Uh, but it's just part of the process, I believe. You don't think the Blues are at four or five million dollars right now? You know, I think uh, you know you could start to get into that neighborhood. Um, you have to be. I mean, if you have interest in bringing David Prime back, you got to be in that four million neighborhood. Like I've speculated that David Prime, if he signed, let's say, a three-year deal, if you go an extra year on the term, perhaps you could get him in that three, five, four million dollar range. Uh, but it you know remains to be seen to if the Blues are in that neighborhood. I think they probably want to do two years, and that's why uh, you know I don't see the AAV going down because I don't know that they're considering three years at this point. We're talking to Jeremy Rutherford, Blues insider for the Athletic here on 101 ESPN. Jr. The big news yesterday for the Blues was uh, in relation to what is it the the WHL? Yeah, is that Western the league Hockey League that uh, Jake Neighbors is in. The Edmonton Oil Kings won their league last night. They won their trophy. Now they're going to be playing for the Memorial Trophy in Canada to try to be the best junior team up there. I wanted to ask you about Neighbors and what the Blues are expecting out of him next year. Do they think that coming into the season, he's going to be competing for a top nine forward slot on this team? I think competing is the key word there. And, and let's back up for one second. What a great decision by the Blues. Look, I was uh, many who got caught up in Jake Neighbors and how well he played in training camp and felt like, you know, for a young player, the best I had seen in a Blues training camp, a young draft pick since David Perron, you know, I thought he really, really had a chance to make the team. You know, it was a year where there was going to be a lot of COVID. The Blues had some forward depth. Uh, they felt that neighbors hadn't played a lot of games because of uh, COVID the past couple of years in junior hockey. He did have another year of junior eligibility left, so they sent them back to the Oil Kings. And what does he do? He's getting, he gets named captain, uh, and they win the WHL championship last night. Not only that, but I think he had 17 points in 19 games. He had a big part in that. He's never going to be able to forget that experience. It definitely built him up, and he's going to be a much better player coming into Blues training camp next year than he would have if he stayed in the NHL last year. You know, it's a, obviously apples and oranges with the leagues, but you're talking about that experience that he was the go-to guy for them. And, and so going back to your question, you know, I think he's going to be able to compete for a spot. You know, I believe he's out of junior eligibility. So, you know, now you're talking about the American hockey league. If he, if he's not up to snuff, um, you know, I don't think even though he played well on the fourth line that you're talking about penciling him into a fourth line spot. So, you know, he's going to have to make that top nine. I think if, if they're going to keep him on the roster and, and have him in the lineup on a normal basis. Speaking of that fourth line, JR, you know, we've talked a couple of weeks ago just about the identity of that fourth line and if that's going to be an area of emphasis by Doug Armstrong this offseason. Uh, because of the way that the Springfield Thunderbirds have been performing, and I think they're playing in a game seven uh, either yeah. tonight or tomorrow night in the, um, the, the conference finals in their AHL tournament, 
guys like Will Bitten who have performed and Dakota Joshua, Mackenzie McEachern, is it more of a real possibility that they just view depth for this team and not look for, through free agency to upgrade the fourth line? Yeah, you know, I think that's going to be, you know, uh, something that the Blues are focused on this offseason. And if I had to answer the question for them, I think you probably have to look outside the organization. And that's to take nothing away from Dakota Joshua and, and a couple of names that you mentioned. But they've been in the organization for a couple of years. And when they do come up, you know, I think that they you have you see glimpses and, and they put them in for a few games and they look fine. But then when it comes crunch time, like we saw in the playoffs, you know, there's no Dakota Joshua McKenzie McEachern. So I really do think the Blues probably need a veteran presence on that fourth line because you're likely going to have Alexei Torpchenko on that line. Um, you know, Tyler Bozak, you know, if I would have to guess at this, wouldn't be back. Um, so when you look at that fourth line, is Logan Brown on there? Does he crack the top nine or is he on that fourth line? He's on a one-way contract next year. Uh, I think the Blues are going to have to go out and find some sort of veteran leadership, a guy who's uh, just been through the rigors to, to come in via free agency or a trade to jump on that spot. And then uh, I think those names that you mentioned are continue to be depth guys. Last thing that I've got for Jeremy Rutherford of the athletic, follow him on Twitter at JP Rutherford and be sure to follow all of his great work this off season over on the athletic. Be sure to subscribe. It is well worth uh, the price of admission. Jer, how does this team view Ivan Barbashev in your mind going into the off season? Yeah, that's going to be a tricky one. It really is uh, because, gosh, you know, I gave him uh, this year with the report card. I gave uh, regular season grades and uh, playoff grades, and I believe I gave Barbashev A plus for the regular season. You know, just incredible with his offensive outbursts this year. And uh, you know, he 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 was the same type of player physically, I think, too. But in the playoffs, just disappeared. We don't know the reason. Haven't had a chance to talk to him, and I think I gave him a D or D minus for the playoffs. Uh, he's got one year left on that deal two point something on the AAV and then he's going to be due again. So here's the thing. If you see him down the road as a fourth line player, you know, continues to be a fourth line player player, you know, he's going to get decent money. I think coming off that year that he had last year. So let's say he plays this year out with the blues, you know, he's probably going to get more than, than what he's making right now. And if, if you're the blues, are you willing to pay him more than that? So, you know, do you overlook the playoffs, bring him back next year, pencil him into your top nine, and he makes everybody forget about that disappointing playoff experience? Perhaps. But if Doug Armstrong's looking into the future like he always is, then maybe look at the Barbashev situation and you figure that maybe this offseason is the time to move him while his stock is pretty high, you know, because other teams probably would overlook that playoff. And then you're not talking about uh, giving him a raise next year if you see him as a fourth liner. So there's a few things, to, you know, a few different ways to look at that Barbashev situation. I still like him. I like the player. You know, I think he could come back and be really good for you next year like he was last year. But you have to consider him going into that final year of the contract. What's going to happen after next year? Jeremy Rutherford confirms exclusively on 101 ESPN that the Blues will be trading him for Jesse Poyarvi. Appreciate you doing that, JR. JR, you know know how I'm obsessed with Jamie Alexiak from the Seattle Kraken? My new obsession. I've never heard you mention it. (laughs) Well, guess what? My new obsession now is Jesse Poyarvi from Edmonton. (laughs) There you go. He had a good year. And yeah, you know, he was a high pick, obviously. And. Looked like he fell by the wayside, but bounced back. No, that'd be a good player to player to have. All right, there you go. So it is exclusive reporting from JR. <laughs> I appreciate that, BK. Uh, he didn't say that. Just yeah, stop putting anybody, words in his mouth so nobody does that. just tuning in, that did not happen. Because the last time that happened, they put it on social media that I said Colton Pareko was the best defenseman <laughs> in the National Hockey League. And, you know, then I heard it for three weeks. JR, appreciate the time as always, man. We'll talk with you again soon.
Yeah, thanks for having me. I thought I'd get canceled when, once you saw Flaherty was starting, but thanks for <laughs> talking hockey a little bit here. Yeah, don't worry. BK had to suck it up for 15 minutes, and now it's back to your regular <laughs> scheduled programming. That's right. Jared, appreciate it. We'll find his work over on The Athletic. Follow him on Twitter, at JP Rutherford. One thing I did want to mention off of that Barbashev thing, I think the only way you can move Barbashev is if you expect Jake Neighbors to give you the same, if not more, of Ivan Barbashev. Because if he does then that's just a smart business move if you're Doug Armstrong because you're clearing $2.5 million in cap space. Or if you trade him for Puyarvi or something like that. Yeah, but I think if you're going to move Barbashev, maybe it's for Puyarvi, but it also is going to be be either in a package to get a defenseman or it's going to be to free up cap space to, one, re-sign David Perron and, two, go get more depth on the offensive side. Yeah, like, here's the question that I would be interested in. What, what has more value for the Blues? Is it... Trading Ivan Barbashev, maybe it's to acquire Jacob Chikrin. We've talked about that possibility a lot. Maybe he's part of the package that can get you Chikrin. And then the Coyotes could very well decide, we're re-signing Barbie now. And they he's going to be a part of our core. Yeah, they could give Ivan Barbashev a letter in all reality because Chikrin wears an A form and Barbashev is a very vocal player on this Blues roster. So that would make a lot of sense for them. So you decide to trade him there and then you sign Nick Paul or something like that, right? To be your third line winger and yep. he can have that flexibility where he's going up and down the lineup depending on where what the lineup looks like yep. that night. Like that's the kind of you're thing that you could potentially piece. do mm-hmm. with that cap space that you're deciding to add on. And JR makes a really important point there as well. If he's a free agent after the season, you can extract value now. Mm-hmm. What's, what's more, more valuable? Him getting you another piece right now or him playing out the regular season and giving you that value of him actually being on the ice for you and then most likely walking. After well, yeah, next because year. you're not going to trade him at the deadline unless you're underperforming. And the most you'd get for him at the deadline would be a second or third round draft pick yeah. if he has a very similar regular season. So, uh, but the only way that I think I can move on from Ivan Barbashev right now is to know that one, I'm going to upgrade somewhere else offensively with a trade or a signing. And two, Jake Neighbors is going to give me a lot of what Ivan Barbashev had. With Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. Questions and answers coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. service text line for questions and answers let's start with this one a little bit of news out of the mls of course we're not too far from mls being here in st louis i've seen the updates on the stadium looks fantastic according to some reports local tv not going to be part of the new mls broadcast deal Uh, according to gary stevenson the mls president uh, they are expecting to go exclusively with their streaming rights for Apple TV, and it looks like instead of having a local TV rights deal, so like when you're watching the Cardinals, you see them on Valley Sports Midwest. Same thing for the Blues. Instead of that, everything's going to be national. So think about the way that you watch the NFL, right? On Sundays, every game's available to you, and it's on CBS, Fox, whatever. It's a local broadcast, technically, but it's a national feed that you're watching it through. That's what MLS is going to do. Now, they made a bleep ton of money off of this. Their last deal was like less than $250 million. This deal is going to be worth more than a billion dollars. So the MLS is cashing in in a big way. Alex, do you have any issue with going the national rights deal? Think in big picture, not even necessarily talking specifically MLS here. National broadcasting as opposed to having the local deals? Uh, No, I don't. Uh, I think... 
I just think that's the way that MLS views their organization, just that it's that bigger stage rather than the local side of things. They know they're going to get the local coverage in the areas that they're in, and they want the big stage because obviously the big stage means big bucks. So, no, I have no issue with it um, other than it's just another damn subscription that I have to (laughs) sign up for, which is always wonderful. I guess that means I'll cancel Netflix. The only issue that I have with it is I do think that having a local rights deal brings more enjoyment to local fans. Like I would rather watch the Cardinals with Danny Mack and whoever's well, on the game with him on a, any given night. Or I'd rather watch the Blues with Panger and JK on the broadcast. Or I would rather listen to it here on 101 ESPN with Curbs and Joey. I, I think that brings more enjoyment because they know the team better. There's no shot against the national guys. It's just literally impossible to follow the team the same way than anybody that nationally is doing those games. So that's where I think the downside is. I, I wish that there was still going to be a local option yeah. for you. Uh, 65780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. A couple more here from the 573. Guys, what more does Adam Wainwright need to do in order to become a serious candidate for the Hall of Fame? I already view him as a serious candidate for the Hall of Fame, so but I'm not the one that votes. Other people are. I don't know if there's anything else Wayno can do other than win a World Series. Winning a World Series as a starter would help. I, I just I, I, I get that that helps for a lot of people. But the guy was a main reason they won the World Series. I get and it. And that's just as impactful. People just view relievers differently. It's really hard to get in as a reliever. Um, There's plenty of relievers, though, that, I, I mean, am I off that don't even have World Series rings? I mean, there, there's just not a ton of relievers that get in in general. Uh, but obviously, Wayno's had a, a successful career as a starter. I think he needs to get to 200 wins. That would be a starting point. Having that, like, firm number helps you. And then, yeah, just more postseason success. If he's able to do that, he keeps racking up these numbers. He's going to finish with more than 2,500 innings pitched. He's already holds so many damn records. In St. Louis. Well, I mean, in baseball, too, though. I mean, if he and Yachty are able to set this tandem, this battery, like the amount of innings pitched that you're it's able to. It's not really a Hall of Fame thing, though, because it's two guys that are, it's a longevity record. It's it's really more impressive for Yachty. This is not to take anything away from what Wayno's done. I want to make that clear. But it's really more impressive for Yachty. Oh, see, I think given- it's more impressive for Wayno, for a pitcher to be pitching th- with the same catcher like it's impressive for both of them but i think it's the pitcher because pitchers are less likely to go the distance as catchers i mean catchers are less likely to to just play as often as yadi but if you think about it like yadi some catchers get viewed as well you're only going to start i mean look at what he's doing now he's only really getting the starts with with wayno but for the vast majority of his career it was the opposite where he was starting like four out of every five days that's crazy i don't know i I just I, i maybe it is just the homer side of things but i just I I don't know why people would view it and say, well, he's not there yet. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll get into some bet it or forget it. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. If you've got a scenario, we'll tell you if we're betting it or forgetting it. But next, can Brendan Donovan be for the Cardinals what Matt Carpenter was early in his career? Might sound like a strange comp, but something Ollie Marmel said yesterday about Brendan Donovan brought it to mind for us. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. He takes a lot of pride in controlling the strike zone and um, he's in there in the video room analyzing every bat after the game and just that's something he 
really takes pride in. Um, but he's extending those at-bats. He's fouling pitches off. He's going deep in counts. But uh, at the end of the day, he's executing his game plan, doing really well. That was Ollie Marmel yesterday after the game talking about Brendan Donovan, who came up big once again for the Cardinals. It seems like every night he does something that contributes towards winning. Had two doubles in that one in the game last night. Finished overall three for four, a couple of RBI. It, he's just always on base. He's always taking command of the zone. And early on in that one, Alex, I think it was Danny Mack who said at the in, in, during his first at-bat, he was like, yeah, it's 1-0 right now. We know it's going to get to 3-2, and we'll talk about what he does after that because you know exactly the way it's going to go. He works counts, and he finds a way uh, to get on base. That quote from Ollie Marmol, though, I know you heard it, and he texted me and Tanner afterwards. He said, man, something Ollie said about Brendan Donovan in his post game reminded me of a former Cardinal. Who is that Cardinal, and why did it remind you of him? It's Matt Carpenter, and don't panic. Listeners, it's an early version of Matt Carpenter. And, man, the quote that he said where he takes pride in commanding the strike zone, to me, that just screams the first couple of years of Matt Carpenter where he wasn't the home run hitter. He didn't substitute contact and working the counts and getting on base for power. He was the guy that broke the doubles record of Stan Musial. He was the guy that was getting walked in the leadoff position nearly once every other at-bat. And to me, from what I've seen with Brendan Donovan, that's who he reminds me of. And I asked you guys, can he be that early version of Matt Carpenter, the all-star, the guy who was... But but see, that's why I was so intrigued by it, because I think it's better than what that Matt Carpenter was, because there's versatility with Brendan Donovan. Carpenter could do two positions. It was second base. It was third base. Third base was a little sketchy. First base wasn't very comfortable. I know they attempted all of those. Second base was where he started out at. But you're talking about a guy who could play the corner outfield spots. You're talking about a guy who could play anywhere in the infield. Heck, he could probably play center field if he absolutely needed him to. But the offensive side, I mean, a third of Brendan Donovan hits have been doubles. Yeah. That, to me, and Marmol's comments of him commanding the strike zone and being able to work the counts in his favor, that was early portion of Matt Carpenter. So Matt Carpenter's first three seasons in the big leagues, here's what he averaged in those years. 295 batting average, about 380 on base percentage, 435 slugging percentage. So he didn't have a ton of power early on in his career. As you mentioned, Alex, that came later on when he eventually got to like a 500 slugging percentage and he was really focusing on pulling the ball. Offensively, it was about 25% above league average. Here's where it gets really interesting in terms of the comparison between Donovan and Matt Carpenter. Carpenter's first three years, he averaged 42 doubles and nine home runs per 162 games. Brendan Donovan so far is on pace over a 162 game schedule for 43 doubles and four home runs. Donovan's walking about 14% of the time. Carpenter walked about 11% of the time. In terms of the way that they profile offensively, this is a great comparison. It's a really, really good comparison. And I've been trying to figure out who is it? Who is it that he reminds me us of? Who does he look like when he's up there at the plate? And I think this is it because Matt Carpenter was not the sexiest player to watch early on in his career, but he got on base. He found a way and it just seemed to work. And I remember early on, I always questioned like, Man, look at him. Is mm-hmm. this really sustainable? Because you look to Matt Carpenter and he's just thin as all get out. <laughs> he doesn't look like he should be as good as he was, but he was maybe one of the most recent guys 
to have this kind of production early on and every other game you're waiting for the other shoe to drop and just never did. I think Carpenter started the devil magic for the Cardinals. Like he, he and I'm he sure continued it from the Memphis Mafia. Yeah, I guys. guess that's true. But man, like this was a guy. Like even the Memphis Mafia, you you expected, I guess, something out of them. Like Alan Craig was viewed pretty highly, and Colton Wong. But I guess Daniel Descalzo would be on it. But th- this is different than Daniel Descalzo, in my opinion, because Descalzo was a great piece for a championship caliber team. But Brendan Donovan, I mean, we're talking about a piece that's that's batting fifth in your order that could potentially be a number two in your batting order. Heck, you could do him lead off if you needed him to like Brendan Donovan is, I mean, he really is that version of Matt Carpenter because yep. of his ability to get on base and change the outcome of games. And you were talking about Harrison Bader in the office beforehand of just the amount of runs that he scores. Brendan Donovan scoring runs right now too. So yesterday, Paul Goldschmidt was asked about Brendan Donovan post game. And Paul Goldschmidt doesn't really crack a smile, much less say something that is going to like create any sort of headlines post game, Alex. I want you to listen to this because it starts with the question that was asked to Paul Goldschmidt and you'll hear him chuckle early on in this question about Brandon Donovan. I, th- I think it shows you Marmol is the same. He <laughs> smiles about him every time they ask. It's not just how we feel about it as fans watching the games. Listen to Paul Goldschmidt when he is asked about Brandon Donovan. Donovan has been a real catalyst. <laughs> when you watch him go about it, what impresses? Everything. Um, you know, I said it earlier today. I just think his preparation, more than anything. I mean, the results have been good, but you know, sometimes if you don't put the work in, you know, that's when you can go up and down. But you see him prepare the right way that he's got a chance to continue to be successful, not just for this year, but for a long time. The same thing happened last night when I was listening to Ali Marmol's postgame presser, and I know he's done it before, but again, someone brought up Brendan Donovan, and before the answer, or before the question was finished, Marmol just went ear-to-ear grin, and I'm like, what is it about this guy? But you know what it is? He's one of those he's one of those spark guys for for a locker room that everyone wants to be around that just he you know he breaks up the clicks and tides of roster honestly it's like an Oscar Sundquist was for the Blues like everyone loves him the manager loves him the players love him the training staff loves him that's what Brendan Donovan is but I also was watching it was Jim Hayes's post game but on the the big screen Mike Claiborne does his star of the game and he was interviewing Brendan Donovan and Brendan Donovan is just like the most nonchalant interview where oh, yeah. it's just so low key four word answers and he just wants to be done with it because he doesn't want to be in the spotlight. Did you see his post game presser no, with I didn't Jim see Hayes? It. So pr- Jim Hayes had him in the uh, in the locker room after the game yeah, as well. Him. And somebody was messing with him about his hair and he just couldn't keep a straight face. He, I was, love it. he was he like broke character for a little while where you did get a little bit of a glimpse of what he's actually like as you opposed to guys. the guy that you see in front of the media sometimes. So I thought that was really cool as well. And there's one other quote that I want to play for you. This Katie Wu sent us the audio from John Mosaylock on Sunday. I was able to go through some of that this morning. And Mo was asked about Brendan Donovan and the versatility that he provides to the lineup. And I know we've compared a million guys to this player from the past, but John Mosaylock went there with Brendan Donovan. For all of you guys that weren't covering the team back when, like, you know, um, Ben Zobers was a free agent, like, you know, we were probably one of the underbidders on that. And we thought of, you know, having that type of player just gives you, like, so much more flexibility from a managerial standpoint. And now to almost have like two players that look like that with Tommy Edmond and, and Donovan, it's, it's super exciting. And, um, you know, I just feel like the types of at-bats he gives you, it's just, you know, when we talk a little bit about like 
what does a cardinal player look like? I mean, he sort of just like, that's what he's like, sort of think about. Like, you know, plays hard, plays smart, and uh, can play anywhere. See, the thing about it is it's not just those two guys. I mean, Jordan, uh, Nolan Gorman can do second base, can do third base. I, I thought he took some reps in the minors in a corner outfield spot. No. Yeah, he's. they said that they wanted to keep him on the dirt as long as they could. Juan Yepes, a first baseman, a corner outfielder if you need him to. I know it's going deep into the vault here, but Jordan Walker is going to be a guy who can play first, can play third, can be a corner outfield spot. I mean, and even Paul DeYoung, if he's brought back up, can do shortstop, can do third base. I mean, you have versatility that this Cardinals team has not had in since I can remember. Yeah, it's really impressive. And we were going to do the lineup game, but we've run out of time here. And the Cardinals <laughs> are actually on the getting ready in front to of start. Me. So Sorry. here's your lineup for today. And it speaks to what you were just mentioning, Alex. Brendan Donovan is leading off for you today. He's oh. playing in... Right field. Oh. Nolan Gorman is batting second, second playing second. Paul Goldschmidt is your DH. They're going to get him off of his feet for the first game today. They'll probably play him in the field in the second one. Nolan Arenado is at third. Tyler O'Neill is in left field uh, batting fifth. Albert Pools is playing first base today and batting sixth Why for you. Why are you so surprised by that? Just This is a perfect opportunity for Pools to get closer to 700. 70 degrees out there. Man, he'll be probably he might like the heat. Not exactly a young man at this point in Whoa. his career. Oh, Harrison Bader is playing in center field. He is batting seventh. Yadier Molina is your catcher today, batting eighth. And Edmundo Sosa is playing shortstop, batting ninth. Matthew Liberator is your starting pitcher on the mound for the first game today. You've got Miles Michaelis in the second game. Ollie Marmel explained the other day why he went with Liberator in the first one. He said, because Miles Michaelis sweats a lot. And so they wanted him to play in the night game. I'm not kidding. Hey, that is not made up. That is a very real quote from Ali Marmol. There's one thing that I identify most with Miles Michaelis, and there's a very little list. It's the ability to sweat a lot. I did family pictures with Katie and Adelaide on Sunday, and I told the photographer, you got five minutes to get these pictures because otherwise it's going to turn into <laughs> Niagara Falls off my forehead. We saw that yesterday. <laughs> we were hey. filming a bit of a commercial. Yeah. And Joey that, kept saying, that, dab that, yourself with a napkin. I'm like, dab myself. It's about to start pouring out here. So I get it, Miles the sweat man come on come on man coming up in 15 minutes can jake neighbors realistically be a third line winger for the blues in 2022 we'll talk about that coming up at about 12 30 65780 is the air comfort service tax line better to forget it is next year on 101 espn we're right back to the bk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line for bet it or forget oh, it. Man, someone just texted in and said it's 120 in the plant I'm working and plus I'm a welder. God bless Whew. you, sir, madam. Better to forget it. You couldn't be paid enough money to attend today's Cardinals game. Oh, bet it. Uh, I I was listening to somebody on my way in who was saying if I were to give you four green seats first row for free to today or tonight's Cardinals game, would you take them? Absolutely not. Maybe tonight, no but I'm showing up late. <laughs> well, see, that's the thing. If you sh- Even if you show up late, I, I mean, there's no way. No, I- I'm not doing it. You know what? If you go to a game like this and you sit through it, you are one heck of a fan. God oh, bless 100%. you. Look at these people that yeah. are there right now. God like, there bless is, these people. What do you think? A couple thousand people at the <laughs> stadium today? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, there is no way. And how about the ushers today? Like, oh, oh, God mm. bless Props them. Props to all of them for being out there and doing this because... 
this is not ideal temperature. Like we, Katie and I went to Grant's farm on Saturday with Adelaide. And I mean, it's not this, but it was like 95, 96. We were out there for 15 minutes and we were like, we need to leave. It's miserable. You know, I normally like right when I get home, I, the first thing I do is go on a run. I can't do it in this. Well, heat, you dude. got a Peloton now. Well, yeah, that's for the winter, man. No, it's for the summer. I, I can't do it in this kind of heat. It's just completely miserable. Yeah. Uh, somebody on the text line said, I had green seats for today's game and then front row bleachers for tonight. I will only be tonight. <laughs> still debating. Or be attending tonight. And I'm still debating that one. <laughs> I'm with you. I wouldn't, man. Oh, I remember, rough. I think it was Ichiro Suzuki was, was once asked the place that he least enjoys going. Is it Bush Stadium? He said it's Kansas City. It's the same concept oh, as yeah, Bush I guess Stadium. because he's a American So it's Kansas City because... In the summer, it basically feels as if it's a million degrees when you go there. Someone said, grab a few cold ones and find the breeze. There is no breeze today. I'm looking at trees right now, and they're not moving. The humidity has sucked up the breeze. I, I saw it yesterday on the news. So the, the, the dew point measures like the humidity yeah. and like how miserable it is. And as close, the, the closer the dew point is to the actual temperature is how miserable it truly is. The dew point yesterday was like 83 degrees. <laughs> it, it was 78 in Florida. Like it's miserable out right now. Yeah. Uh, so here's the quote from Ichiro Suzuki. He said, August in Kansas City is hotter than two rats, rats mating in a wool so- sock. Let me try this one more time. August in Kansas City is hotter than two rats mating in a wool sock. As Paris Hilton once said, that's hot. <laughs> Again, that is from Ichiro Suzuki. He was on uh, a late night show. It was tremendous. All right, 65780 is the air comfort service text line. Yeah, can for we do some sports here, BK? Better to forget it. Unbelievable. Better to forget it, Alex. Both David Perron and Ryan O'Reilly signed contracts extensions with the Blues this offseason. Uh, I'm going to forget it. I don't think O'Reilly signs an extension this offseason. I just think there are other pressing uh, issues for Doug Armstrong to address. And, and maybe Ryan O'Reilly wants to get it done. I just think if, if I'm Ryan O'Reilly, I want to see what the landscape of the team is before I re-up. And if Perron resigns, then maybe I look at it as I'm going to see where the money's at and where you're going forward. So I'm going to say I'm going to forget this one. I think one resigns this offseason, obviously Perron, and then O'Reilly goes next offseason or maybe midseason. I think I'm going to bet it if Perron signs a long term deal. I think if he's here for three or four years, I could see uh, Ryan O'Reilly saying, you know what? You know, I think he's the type of player that that's sort of something he doesn't want to think about going into a season. Um, I could see him signing an extension as well. I think both sign one this off season. I think they end up bringing back Ryan O'Reilly. The only hang up that I have is that no move clause, man. I don't think he's going to command one. I really don't. I just, I think Ryan O'Reilly knows Doug Armstrong. He know he saw how a captain left because of a no movement clause and he loves St. Louis. Yeah. You're a captain. You're on a team that Stanley Cup window is open still. And you're going to back away for a no movement clause. I just don't. Ryan O'Reilly doesn't seem like that type of player to me. I mean, it's not being like a, a bad human no, or something. Of course this is not. something that I get really frustrated with. Not not with you, but just. Well, it seems sometimes. Personal. No, but I do think sometimes that there is a like negative connotation with a player asking for what he has earned. And that is that is unfair. The player has earned the rights to ask for this. And if other teams are willing to give it to him and other teams would absolutely be willing to give Ryan O'Reilly the no move clause, just as they were with Alex Petrangelo, 
then he, he can command that. Now, I'm not saying that it's going to get in the way of him in the Blues. I don't know. I don't know what his what his level of interest is in having that no move clause. But if that is something that he believes that he is worth, I think he's right. And I am curious to see how it plays into the conversation. Allow me to rephrase that then. Uh, Ryan, or it's not that he's that type of person. Ryan O'Reilly seems like a guy that winning a Stanley Cup continuously means more to him than a no movement clause. And he you. seems like a guy who understands the mentality of the organization and Doug Armstrong that doesn't want a player to be more what's the what's the right powerful. phrase? More powerful than the organization. Thank you. I understand that completely and I get what Doug Arm we've heard him mention this a million different times, explain why he believes what he does with the no move clause. Right, wrong or indifferent doesn't much matter. That's his belief. It's kind of like the Cardinals and how they view the ten year contracts. I can disagree with it all I want. I can adjust how I feel about what they're going to do based on those. So with Doug Armstrong, the no move clause, the way that I look at it for Ryan O'Reilly specifically is if he wants one, he's got one year left on his contract. I understand he wants to win. And there are a lot of winning teams that would love to have Ryan O'Reilly. And there are a lot of winning teams that can afford him. They could figure it out. When Ryan O'Reilly hits the market, if he does, there will be... 20 different teams that would be willing to offer him a solid market value deal that gives him a no move clause. I don't and it, many of them will be contenders. Be, maybe, but are, are they contenders on the same level as St. Louis? I don't think so. I, I don't know because I don't know what the outlook's going to be next offseason. Mm-hmm. But when Ryan O'Reilly becomes available, yeah, if you're another team for the same reason why the Blues wanted him and still continue to want him, other teams will as well. So. Um, I, I think that I say all that to say this. I think something gets done this offseason with him because I think that they want him here long term. That's my one hold up, though, is what's going to happen with those uh, with the no movement clause. Six, five, seven, eight. Oh, is the air comfort service tax line for bet it or forget it. Guys, bet it or forget it. Paul Goldschmidt will finish the year with at least a 300 batting average and 30 or more home runs. Bet it. I mean, the guy's unreal this season. 30 more than 30 home runs seems very realistic 300 is tough but I mean the back of his baseball card he's always floating around that and if you're performing the way you have been this season that seems like it's also pretty easy so I'm gonna bet this one I think I am too the 300 is the part that I'm not sure about because it it's so hard to hit 300 in today's game how many guys I think it was like five guys hit 300 last year I'll have to look that up among qualified hitters but the only Cardinals over the last 20 years to hit 300 in an individual season with at least 30 home runs. So this would be the list that Paul Goldschmidt would be joining. The last to do so was Big Puma back in 2011. Before that, you have to go all the way back to Pujols, who did it 10 times in his career here Good in St. Louis. Jim Edmonds did it in 04. Roland did it in 04. Edmonds did it again in 01, and then Big Mac did it in 2000. Pretty good company to be in. The entire list of guys that have done it, and then Paul Goldschmidt would add himself to that list. Add Goldschmidt to that list. Not too shabby. Uh, 65780 is your comfort service text line to get involved in the show. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we're going to dive into the junk drawer. But next, can Jake Neighbors realistically be a third line winger for the Blues? And would that upgrade what they have in their lineup? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
cool night for Jake Neighbors and the Edmonton Oil Kings. They win the WHL, Western Hockey League. He hoisted a cup over his head. Hopefully, he will soon hoist another here in St. Louis. And the question is, will he be able to be wearing the blue note next year as a third-line winger for this Blues team? Alongside Alex Ferrario and Jake Grant Francis. Jake I'm Neighbors Brandon is Kiley. on the show it's BK right now? and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Alex, do you think Jake Neighbors should be expected to be a top nine forward for the Blues next year? No, I don't. I, I, I think expecting that out of a 21-year-old is asking too much. I, I think his potential is obvious. His potential is a top six winger. That's what, I mean, you got a guy who drafted in the first round. He's a physical player. He goes to the front of the net. I didn't think he deserved to go back to juniors, but it was the smart decision. But I think a 20-year-old coming into the season of a team that's competing for a Stanley Cup, those are high expectations for somebody to say, you're a top nine forward for us amongst a group that had nine guys score 20 or more goals. Can he live up to those expectations? I think so. He's got the mental, um, he's got the mental ability to do that. But I think that's a lot of expectations for a guy that's just coming out of his fifth year in juniors. Correct me if I wrong, if I'm wrong, but he can't go back to juniors now, Correct. right? So he will be in the AHL next mm-hmm. season. It's either AHL or NHL. I kind of see this playing out as you know, if the Blues didn't see him. Uh, in the near future coming up and being a part of their team, they wouldn't have done that little experiment that they did with him this past season. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I see him game one starting for the Blues in this regular season, but the unfortunate side of hockey is there are going to be injuries throughout a season. Yeah. I think he's the first guy called up, and as soon as he's called up, that's his opportunity to remain in the lineup, and I could see him doing it. So if you want to go by what we've seen in in recent years with other blues players that are top end prospects that came up. Yeah. Kairou was four years in juniors and then he was in the AHL for a little bit. Yeah. Kairou when he was 21 spent 47 games in the AHL played 16 games in the NHL finished that year in the NHL with three points in the AHL. He was basically a point per game player, 47 games, 43 points for him. And then the next year, is when it was the pandemic season. Two years later, it was pandemic season. The year before, it was the shortened season because of the pandemic. So it got funky for for Kairou's development. But that's kind of where he was. And he was playing pretty well at the NHL level, but it took him some time to adjust. Robert Thomas played four seasons as well down in juniors and then was ready to go mm-hmm. in the NHL. In 2019, 70 games at 33 points. I think that's the... That is the path that I'm anticipating for Jake Neighbors. Yeah, I, I don't anticipate the Jordan Kyrou path because Kyrou's a different player than Neighbors. Neighbors plays the way that Craig Berube expects his players to play. Kyrou, as we've seen, is more of a offensive-minded player that needed some conditioning in the AHL of the pro level of hockey to, to do the other side of the, the, the game. So if you're looking at the Robert Thomas path, Thomas was 19 when he made his NHL debut for the Blues. Right now, Jake Neighbors is 20 years old, and he will be 20 whenever the season begins for the Blues. If I told you right now, Alex, you could sign up for Jake Neighbors having 10-ish goals. Robert Thomas had nine his first year, and right around 35 or so points. Would you lock that in today if you could for the Blues? Spending the entire season here in St. Louis, 10 goals, 35 to 40 points. Absolutely. Because that is, to me, that that's a player that is growing into that NHL workload. So, yeah, I would sign up for that in a heartbeat. Is that enough for you on the third line? 
No. Given the way that this team's currently constructed, is that enough for you to compete at the highest of levels with this current roster that we're expecting back next year? No, that's a fourth line player for me. And if you remember correctly, those those numbers that you gave off Robert Thomas's that first season, it, it was a lot of a lot of those points came in the second half of the season because the team struggled in the first half. Because remember, Pat Maroon was struggling. You really weren't getting a lot of Tyler Bozak. I, I remember uh, vividly Thomas being healthy, scratched a few times in the first portion of the season. Now it was a different head coach, also Mike Yo compared to Craig Berube. But to me, those numbers are a underperforming third liner and an overperforming fourth liner. So you're kind of in, in between there. And I think Grant said it perfectly. You're going to have injuries, so you'll be playing in the top nine. But I think the best case scenario for Jake Neighbors and the Blues is to come into this season and say, you're going to start out on our fourth line and give us an identity on that fourth line. And then as the season progresses, as you continue to improve, you could end up being a top six, top nine forward for us. And I could really see that happening because one thing that I really like about Jake Neighbors and it goes back to what Craig Bruby says all the time, the compete level. Mm-hmm. He has that. I mean, he's on the ice, and he is never taking a shift off. There's not one moment where you're like, God, he's really uh, j- just not yeah. in the play. That's what Craig Bruby loves, and that's why I could really see and, him earning a role. And, and thinking about this, BK, like we've spent so much time talking about finding an identity for the fourth line. What if the identity for the fourth line next year is Alexi Torpchenko on one wing, Jake Neighbors on another wing, and you have a veteran presence in the center position on a fourth line, and you're still finding some piece, whether it is the same top nine that you had, or maybe you're going out there and getting some other piece to be in your top nine. And that identity of a fourth line is a young Jake Neighbors who plays the way Craig Bruby wants him to, Torpchenko, who also plays the way, and let's say you go out there and you sign a Zach Aston Reese, or you go get a Noel Achari, a veteran who can be offensive for you on the fourth line, That's the identity that you've been searching for, and all of those guys can play top nine roles if you need them to. It's like the kid line for the Rangers, right, where they they ended up relying on that pretty pretty heavily. Now, it's different. That was the third line versus the fourth line here for the Mm -hmm. Blues, but they relied on that heavily going into the playoffs for them. Uh, Yeah, I mean, there's some... There's some truth to that. My concern would be, are, are you getting the most out of Jake Neighbors if you put him on the fourth line? Because we know how this works. As much as we say they need an identity there, and they do. I, I, I'm i with you, Alex. I think that they need to improve their fourth line going into next year. Those guys still, even in the best of scenarios, play like nine to ten minutes for you but I think per that, game. I think that changes if you get guys that Craig Berube trusts. But it didn't. Even in their Stanley Cup season, the fourth line was playing somewhere between nine and, and 11 minutes per game on average. But he didn't trust that fourth line until towards the end of the season when Steen went down there. I, you- I just... I think that most most of the time, those guys are playing in that range, especially when you have as deep of a top nine as the Blues do. Those guys are all going to be in that 15 to 18-ish minutes per game type but of a range. Do you really want a 20-year-old with very little NHL experience to be playing 15, 16 minutes a night? I think you might want him. I mean, the way that, and I know this is old school mentality and things have changed now, but the way that it's gone in the past is those younger players, they they, they kind of have to... They kind of have to work their way into a top nine and you come in and you, you kind of grind it out on the fourth line. You learn the ropes, you go through an NHL season because also let's remember he's going to be going through an 82 game schedule next year. If he's on the NHL roster, it's not going to be the 40 game season that the uh, junior teams are like, it's a longer season. I think if you can start out the year with a guy on the fourth line, 
that's just going out there and playing 9, 10, 11 minutes a night and you're getting the trust from the head coach and you're learning the ropes, then as the season progresses, when injuries pop up, that's where you get that, hey, let's trust you a little bit more. It's very equivalent to Oscar Sundquist and Ivan Barbashev brought up as guys to play on your fourth line. But then when injuries popped up, Sundquist became a top nine winger. And then but they Barbashev. were the prospects that Jake Neighbors is. Jake Neighbors was Barbashev was a second round draft pick, but not in the same ilk that Neighbors is considered to be a top prospect, not just for the Blues, but in the NHL. He's like a legit high level prospect. I think they're pretty similar. I mean, Barbashev was a hundred point player in junior hockey. Like this was a guy that they looked at and they're like, hey, this could be somebody. And he never reached that potential. Potential. Sunquist might be reached. He was with Pittsburgh yeah. at the time, though. I just don't remember. He was traded for Ryan Reeves. It, yeah. Whoa, whoa. Ryan Reeves is fantastic. I love Ryan Reeves, but if you're getting traded for Ryan Reeves, right. you're not considered at that point to be a legit top prospect uh, in the NHL. Uh, in all reality, I think the good comp is an Ivan Barbashev because they're they're very similar. Now I know Neighbors was a first round draft pick and Barbashev was a second round, but Neighbors was a late first round draft pick. So yep. I mean, like that's why I said earlier, like if you're gonna if you're gonna move Barbershop, you I think Thomas hope. is the comp. That's what I was getting to. Is like I, I think the comp for, and I'm not saying he's going to become Robert Thomas. I'm, I'm not putting those kinds of expectations on him. But the development curve of getting here very quickly, starting your NHL career earlier than most guys do. Thomas was 19. We're looking at 20 years old for Jake Neighbors, and Thomas immediately was ready to go playing 13 plus minutes per game. By year two, he was playing more than 14 and a half minutes per game. I think that's the trajectory that I would like to see for Jake Neighbors. And if the Blues were not even willing this year to have Logan Brown playing fourth line minutes, I'm just not sure you're going to see that this year from Jake Neighbors either. I think the way that they're going to view this is he's either going down to the AHL and playing more than 15 minutes per game for them, or he's going to be here on your third line playing 13 plus minutes for you here. I, I don't. I could be wrong. I It's happened before. It will happen again at some point, probably. I don't foresee them pigeonholing Jake Neighbors into a fourth-line role. That I would just, really surprise I me. I just don't know if it's pigeon-toling the player into a role. I just I think it's a matter of growing into the role that they want you to be in. In the best-case scenario, I think, for Jake Neighbors, you know he's got NHL stuff. Craig Berube loved him. The best case scenario is to be around the NHL all season long like Robert Thomas was. But if you're in a fourth line role, I think that could also be good for Jake Neighbors throughout the longevity of an 82 game season. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're going to learn everything we need to over the next six weeks about where the Cardinals are at and what their trade deadline needs actually are. That came into place earlier today. We'll explain it coming up at one. The juncture of those coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Coming up in about five minutes or so, the next six weeks are going to tell us everything we need to know about the Cardinals leading into the trade deadline. It will show us exactly what they need. But right now, let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. Alex, I saw this the other day. It's a graphic about where people, where people are meeting before they get married, right? So where couples meet and how it's changed over the years. So, for example, about... 50 years ago, so 1970. Probably met at the disco. Most people met through friends 
or they met through family. Not like literally they were meeting family because and they married them. Because electricity wasn't alive then, was it? 50 years ago? Yeah, <laughs> yeah man. Electricity <laughs> was around. Thomas Edison happened to come before then. Yeah, um, they didn't have phones then, right? There were some people that met in bars or restaurants, and there was a stunning number of people uh, that say they met as co-workers. That was actually the second highest rate of where people met, and that ended up becoming couples. Where do you think that is now? The oh, number one place where people online. meet online before they become a couple. Online or some type of app. 40% of couples meet online. The second place for most where people where the couples meet is in a restaurant. That's at about 25%. At a restaurant re- or a bar. Oh, okay. I was gonna say so a social restaurant. setting. Is that like putting your na- your number on a on a check and seeing if they call you? Yeah, that's how you go up. You got a number. It usually hey, doesn't work. Uh, I'm looking for number seven. <laughs> number seven, Turkey Reuben. No, okay. Andrew Marsh just texted me and said Hinge. That's the dating <laughs> app that he keeps pushing. I do wonder <laughs> if some of the people that responded to this poll, if they were like, well, I. We met on the app, but then we met in a bar, so I'll go with a bar. I I met on the app in the bar. (laughs) Yeah, that might have something to do with it. The one that has really dropped, Alex, and I'm curious if you have an explanation as to why this would be, maybe. Dude, I I don't even know how I met my wife. (laughs) Meeting as coworkers. It was in Uh, 1990 it peaked right around 20% of all couples. It was the second leading way that couples met. And now it's down to about 10%. Because isn't, I, want, I think there's a lot of rules about like office relationships now. Yeah. I don't know if that was the case in the 90s. I'm not even sure. But you would imagine with with as much as the, the Me Too movement has taken off and, and for everything that has gone on, like workplace relationships, they kind of try and keep to a minimum because you don't want to deal with everything that comes into play with them if they go south. I mean, at least for places that I worked when I was in college, like there was no, like they did not allow relationships in the workplace. And I'm talking like working at restaurants. Really? They, yeah. they, okay. they like told people in the meeting. Now, obviously, I'm sure <laughs> about to say. things happened. <laughs> I've worked but it's in like, restaurants and had relationships with other people in those restaurants. But it's like I remember going through those like tutorials of being hired. And they're like, yeah, no workplace relationships. I'm like, oh, okay. Grant, are you single? I am. How do you meet people? Out of the open, man. Um, honestly, apps. Okay. Yeah. To be to be totally honest, or like bars, whatever. Sure. Top was, two. Pretty basic. Don't say if you are meeting people at work. Don't don't mention it while we're yeah, here on the radio. In trouble. Good point. Um, Alex, didn't you meet your wife in school? Yeah. So so I met her. Uh, so she went to an all girls high school, and I met her by doing uh, plays and musicals when we were in high school. We dated in high school, we split up, and then we found each other again when we both went to Lindenwood. Gotcha. See, I met her through school, but I met her through high school when we were doing uh, plays and musicals together. So about 80 years ago, that would have been the most common way that people Meeting met. at schools? Yeah, it was meeting in primary or secondary school. So meeting in I, I, like I, high school or before. I tell Katie this all the time. I am so glad that her and I have been dating as long as we have and are married. I would not survive dating life today. I, I wouldn't. Like, I wouldn't be able to do the app. We don't like people. <laughs> well, that's why I wouldn't survive today. I would probably have to be single. It's brutal, let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> 
Grant, I feel bad for you, buddy. It's grill for T-Bone too, buddy. So. Also, it's expensive. Oh, like, yeah. That's going <laughs> on dates? Yeah, no way. just, especially right now I with sp- how expensive everything is. I spent an absurd amount of money on girls in high school and college. It's just ridiculous, man. You go to any restaurant and you pay for yourself. You oh, pay yeah. for the girls with the way that it's got to go. No, it's eating at home. Like, hey, I'll cook you dinner at my mom's <laughs> house. That's that's what dating is going. <laughs> I got hours back walk. here getting coupons for McDonald's. Yeah, I got grilled hey, I got cheese. two for one, baby. <laughs> I got grilled cheese at home if you're up for that and tomato soup. And then we can watch a movie if that's cool with you. Alex heard about the $5 footlongs when he was in high school. Was I like, don't think those Damn, exist there anymore. We go. <laughs> Katie and I for lunches at Linden. We used to go to Subway all the time because <laughs> it was sense. cheap. Of course you did. Hey, we're related. We're, we're, uh, we're daters on a budget, man. I worked with this guy. Uh, this is probably five years ago now. And he was, he was single at the time. He was like 35, though. So he's like midlife single, right? So he had midlife single. Is that a phrase now too? <laughs> I'm going with Good it. Good God, I would have been, I would have been a 40 year old, and I would have been single. 100. percent So he, uh, he's going on all these dates with these different women. He goes to uh, this wine bar one night, and he, he had a couple of drinks, and the girl had a couple of drinks, and then they decide, you know, they're hitting it off. It's going well. So uh, he's going to order a bottle of wine. He says, you can go ahead and choose which bottle you'd like, and we'll go ahead and grab that, right? He doesn't know anything about wine, so he's like, I'll, I'll let you go ahead and choose. You, you seem to know Smart what you're play. doing. Smart play. Make her seem like she's the, the intelligent one on it, and you know nothing. The problem is he didn't realize that she purchased a $200 bottle of wine. Saw that one coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. He gets the bill afterwards, and he was like, what am I supposed to do here? Do I say, could we split this? Are, are we going each of us? I didn't realize that I was in a oh. spot where I was going to be spending $300 on this do. meal you, on our first date. You, t- you go up to the guy and be like, look, I didn't know that this was the case. So I need you to. <laughs> you already had the wine. I need I need you to take the wine off. <laughs> I need you to put a smaller <laughs> wine on here. And I'm going to start. I'll come back after I drop her off after this date. And I'll start doing some dishes for you. Alex would 100% do that. He's not kidding. Hey, I'm, I'm going to go drop her off. I need you to put a really cheap bottle of wine on here. I'm going to go drop her off after this date. And I'm going to come back and I'm going to do dishes the rest of the night. Somebody asked me who this story is about. So it, the guy that I worked with in, in Kansas City, when I was doing radio out there in Kansas City, it, was one of those guys. Um, he ended up spending $350 on his first date with this woman who never responded to any of his texts. Plain and simple. the best. I, I applaud anybody who is trying to date and successfully like accomplishes a relationship in today's world. I wouldn't be able to do it. I couldn't either. I would just put headphones on all the time and stay at home. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll dive into some NFL quick hitters, some news and notes from around the league, including which second year quarterback NFL general managers seem to believe is going to have the best year. Who would you bet on? We'll tell you who the GMs are betting on coming up in 15 minutes. But next, the next six weeks, we're going to learn everything we need to know about the Cardinals as it pertains to their trade deadline needs. We'll explain why coming up here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. today if you missed it relates to the cardinals according to katie Wu of the athletic the cardinals are expecting now to start 
Jack Flaherty tomorrow. And the reason is because they're convinced he only needs to increase his intensity, not his pitch count right now. And the flexibility that they have in the bullpen with guys like Andre Palante, Zach Thompson potentially available to them, uh, that allows them to get Jack going right now uh, at the big league level as opposed to having another rehab assignment for him. So he's expected, Jack Flaherty is, to throw about 60 pitches tomorrow for his 2022 debut. And the Cardinals are expecting Andre Palante to be used as the bridge after Jack Flaherty starts. So that's the news from today. What does it mean? Alex, in my opinion, the next six weeks are going to tell you everything you need to know about the Cardinals. You now have Flaherty, Wayno, Michaelis, Hudson in your rotation. You've got the bullpen other than Jordan Hicks, basically, that you are expecting to have for the rest of the season. You've got Andre Pallante back in his main priority role of being a bullpen guy. If you decide you want to move him back to the rotation later on, you can do that. You've got Zach Thompson available to you to bridge some of that gap as well. And now you've got your entire offense available to you. Paul DeYoung's probably going to be up at some point within the next week or two. I would imagine as long as he keeps hitting. You've got all this flexibility with your position players. Brendan Donovan continues hitting. He just never seems to slow down. Alex, in the next six weeks, we are about to find out, okay, what are the remaining holes? Because all year long, you've had the yeah, but Jack Flaherty's hurt. There are no more yeah, buts. I understand that Steven Matz is hurt. He's not going to be back for a little while, most likely. Steven Matz is not a reason why you're not winning. No. Jack Flaherty is. He's your number one starter coming into the year. He's your wipeout stuff guy at the front end of your rotation. He starts game one or two of a playoff series. That guy is a difference maker. Now that you have him back and things start slotting back into place in your bullpen, now we're about to find out what this team's really made of. Absolutely. This was the only thing that people were hanging their hat on as to why the Cardinals can't be considered World Series contenders is because they don't have their ace. But frankly, for me, that was what was more impressive about what they've done so far is doing all of this without the guy that they can rely on giving them seven innings in the outings when healthy. And if this seems to be true, what Jack Flaherty is telling reporters and John Mozeliak and Ollie Marmal that this is the best he has felt since 2019. Okay, well then this can go two different ways. One, he's telling the truth and he is going to be dominant, which makes this team, in my opinion, up there with the Mets and the Dodgers in the National League, or he's not himself and he's more of the Jack Flaherty that we saw in 2020 and 2021 and you have maybe a middle of the road starting pitcher. And if that's the case, Well, then you're in that second tier, I think, with the Milwaukee Brewers and teams like that, that you can win the NL Central and maybe fight. This is what it all comes down to because everything else is in place. You've got O'Neal and Carlson back, and both of those guys are hitting. Paul Goldschmidt just hit another home run. (laughs) So you've got your MV2, at least with Goldschmidt and Arenado. Go ahead and add three for Edmund. Go ahead and add four with Brendan Donovan because the man just got on base again. You've got the bats that you're relying upon. You've got the depth. And now your bullpen becomes a lot more dominant and you're still going to get guys back. So for me, Jack Flaherty is going to be the end all tell all as to how this team is going to be measured. And our great friend, Mike Claiborne always labels flag day as when you start judging a team off of their standings, he moved it back to the first week of July. But I think in that in between is when you're going to get a really good taste of what this team truly is in the National League. Yeah, I just I look at the team right now and you're 14th in starting pitching ERA, 14th in relief pitching ERA. You're fifth in most off your top 10, at least in most offensive statistical categories. You're 10th right now in defensive runs saved by basically any metric you want to look at. Cardinals are a top 10 top 10 team in Major League Baseball, top five at a minimum 
in the National League and a lot of places top three in the National League or four at a, at worst with the Padres thrown into the mix right now. They're now tied atop the NL West with the L.A. Dodgers. Card swept them. Doesn't matter. If you get back Jack Flaherty, and that helps you because Palante is now back into the bullpen and Thompson can go back into more of a natural spot where he's helping you get outs as a bridge guy, and that takes off some of the burden of the TJ McFarlands and the Johan Oviedo can go back down to the minors and you don't have to do that experiment any longer this season. I mean, that that's where things start to get really interesting. That's where this starts to become a team that you look at and say to yourself, okay, should I start looking at them the way that Alex just mentioned, where maybe it isn't the Mets and the Dodgers and then in the second tier, the Cardinals. No, it's Mets, Dodgers, Cardinals. Maybe it's Mets, Dodgers, Cardinals in that top tier. That's what we're about to find out, though. That's that's what this next six weeks is about. And if it doesn't do that for you, if you're the Cardinals and you still feel like you're a second-tier team in the National League, that's when I think this is the year for John Mosellock to get aggressive. Even if you are. Isn't that more of a reason that you should be aggressive if you're John Mazalek? Because if you know you're in the same category as those teams and you know the Dodgers are always going to spend, the Mets have the money to spend, and they're going to get healthier, they're doing all of this without Max Scherzer and Jacob DeGrom, I think if I'm John Mazalek, yes, I want to be aggressive if I find out in the next six weeks that my team's not on that level yet. I think I would rather be more aggressive if I know my team is on that level so that I can go all in for this roster. Yeah, I'm. this is the year to do it. I, I think Absolutely. you're right. The only way that you don't go all in on this team, all in is, a, is too strong. The only way you don't add to this team in a relatively significant way is if you just flat out don't believe in them. And there would have to be a lot that goes wrong between now and the trade deadline six weeks from now for me to just flat out not believe in the 2022 Cardinals. It'd be impossible to not believe into this team for what they put together. I mean, again, what they have done, which taken over first place, and I know people will say, well, they beat up. Well, the Brewers fell into a rut and they're dealing with injuries. That's fine. But this is the division that they're in. They have won despite not having their ace and two of their other starting pitchers. The things that are now holding back the Brewers, which is starting pitching the injuries Cardinals overcame and a tougher schedule. That was the Cardinals. The first month of the season Cardinals were able to stabilize things and the Brewers have now crumbled. I don't have any sympathy for them, man. Why would I have sympathy for them? They are now in the spot where the Cardinals were last June. You going to be able to overcome it? Because my guess is the answer is no. And I also this this is a text that really frustrates me. 65780 is your comfort service text line from the 314. Guys, you say that Jack Flaherty is back to himself. He had one half of one year in which he was a dominant pitcher. Every other year so far in his career has been average. So when you refer to him being himself, what are you referring to? Well, first of all, we're not referring to it. He's referring to being himself and pitching the best he's pitched since 2019. From 2018 through today, Jack Flaherty has a 3.22 ERA. Among all qualified pitchers in that time, and there are about 150 of them, Jack is 15th. The guys that have similar ERAs to Jack Flaherty in this stretch are Shane Bieber, Sandy Alcantara, Chris Sale, Max Freed, Zach Wheeler, Brandon Woodruff, Blake Snell, Miles Michaelis, Chris Bassett. Those are the guys in the range of a 3.1 to a 3.4 ERA since the start of the 2018 season. 
those are guys that are legit number one starters. I just read you a list of number one starters for other teams. The Cardinals have one of those. In fact, they have three guys that are in the top 24 of this list in terms of starting pitchers ERA since the start of 2018 season. It's Jack at number 15. You've got Miles Michaelis at 22 and Adam Wainwright at 24. That's what you're missing right now. You're missing the number one player on that list for you since 2018. I understand that if you've got criticisms of Jack Flaherty, that's fine. I'm not going to tell you you shouldn't. But Jack Flaherty's a really good pitcher. And when he's on, he's the best pitcher, most talented pitcher on the staff. There there are no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You ask 29 other teams, they would love to have a Jack Flaherty on their roster. And that tells you what type of pitcher you have. And, and I mean, Jack Flaherty has proven it. Regardless if people like him or don't like him, what he says, what he does, if he stays healthy or not, Jack Flaherty is an asset to this team when healthy. And even at his worst, you're looking at a guy who puts this team into the conversation of could potentially win a World Series. Alex, do you like Max do you like Max Freed? Do you think he's a pretty good starter? He's Atlanta, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I th- I mean What about Brandon Woodruff? Damn think World he's a pretty Series. Good, pretty good starter? Yeah. Uh do you like Blake Snell? Pretty good starter. Well, I love Blake Snell before he went to the Padres. Chris Bassett, pretty solid. Yep. Good, good, good pitcher. Uh, d- does uh, well. I would say that uh, a lot of people were talking about the Cardinals going to acquire him. So he Carlos Rodon, you think he's probably? I wanted in him in the offseason. So yeah, Frankie Montas. Did we talk Frankie about him Montas as well? Talked a lot about him. Those are all guys that are pitching roughly the same or fewer innings than Jack Flaherty over the last few years. Because we got another text on the text line. Yeah, but what about the innings total? You got to take that into account as well. Guys, Jack's been hurt. Pitchers get hurt. That welcome to the modern game. This is how it works. Unfortunately, is that guys have to deal with stuff, and Jack has obviously had to deal with a lot more injuries than he certainly would have liked over the last two seasons in particular. And then you had that weird 2020 season where you had all of the pandemic, uh, COVID issues that they had to deal with, and they were super careful with Jack as a result. His ERA looks bad because of one start that he had, but otherwise he was really good in 2020. So Jack. I'm not going to allow people to just suggest that Jack Flaherty hasn't been good for the Cardinals when he's been outstanding for them when he's been able to pitch. Yeah, and that's the biggest question. The biggest question about Jack Flaherty isn't if he's going to be able to pitch to the level that you know he can because you know he can. It's can he sustain health for the rest of this season. And that's what we're about to find out. Yep, That's what the next six weeks is about. Can Jack Flaherty stay healthy? If so, what does that mean as a trickle-down effect for your pitching staff? And if those guys end up being able to live up to expectations – how does that change what the team needs to do as we get closer and closer to the trade deadline? Because this is a playoff team, might be a championship team. We're about to determine what the ceiling of this outcome is coming up here over the next six weeks. Next, it's time for some NFL quick hitters, including news and notes, and which second-year quarterback is expected to be the best this year. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for some NFL quick hitters. Let's start with the second year quarterbacks. Alex, I don't know about you, but I'm excited to see some of these guys. You got Trevor Lawrence, Mac Jones, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, and of course, the guy who gets forgotten, Davis Mills down in Houston. Uh, I'm the most excited about Davis. Among that group, Alex, ESPN pulled a bunch of NFL executives to determine which of them is in position to have the most success, not over the long-term careers, but just this upcoming season. Which of those second-year quarterbacks would you have at number one? 
Trevor Lawrence, Mac Jones, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, or Davis Mills? Who would you have at number one among them? Well, since Jimmy G is going to be back, Trey Lance, he's off there. Is he, though? Okay. Well, I didn't know we were playing mystery game. Um, I think for me, it's the first two you mentioned. It's either Mac Jones or Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence, now that you don't have Urban Meyer around, which I think is going to help, and you get some guys that missed last season, a little bit more weapons to uh, use. But I think if I were to give Trevor Lawrence, number one, Mac Jones, one B, because I think I'm a little more excited about Trevor Lawrence with the Jacksonville Jaguars than Mac Jones. But I'm, I'm curious with Mac Jones also. That's what the NFL general managers went with. They had Trevor Lawrence, number one, Mac Jones, number two. I think that's probably the order that I would have them. And then as I'd well. have Lance as three. So that's where things get interesting. You think of Davis Mills? Don't. I think he's in a bad situation. Well, of course he is. He's in Houston. He was, however, last year, probably the third most successful. Like As much as we give them crap down in Houston for all the things that they've done wrong, Davis Mills was a perfectly capable quarterback. Yeah, but they went year. out there and got a different head coach than the coach that they had success with with Davis Mills. Yeah, and they, overall, their organization is a dumpster And in fire. all reality, all of the other quarterbacks underperformed. Do I have belief though that Zach Wilson's going to be good this year? I mean, they they addressed a lot of needs at the draft. I mean, we even talked that the Jets probably have one of the best drafts of any team. They did. They addressed their issues. I liked their defensive additions more than I liked their offensive additions. I'm I'm not sure about their wide receiver room. Corey Davis, Garrett Wilson, Elijah Moore. It, it's fine. It's not great though. But I could say the same thing about the Bears. I think the Bears have oh, the done Bears a terrible awful. job surrounding Justin Fields. I think I would go Trey Lance, but see, like, I, I just and don't know if he's playing. That's the tough part. I just don't, I don't think he's, and I still don't know what's happening with Debo Samuel. Cause I don't think Debo is going to be there. I think he will. I think Debo ends up resigning there. And I think the 49ers are probably the best situation of these. So I would go Trey Lance three. And then you have your pick of the litter between Wilson and Fields and Mills. I think all of them are in just such terrible situations. I would probably go with the upside of the talent, and I like Justin Fields the best of those it, three. It sucks that it sucks that Chicago has done this to their team because I was so excited about Justin Fields was the one I was most excited about from that quarterback Same. draft class, and they just obliterated that team. And it really sucks because you're wasting a couple of years of Justin Fields. I don't know if Chicago's back into conversation of being competitive for what three four years and i mean you're 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 going to be having to pay justin fields by that time so the other big story that was reported earlier today alex is that according to pro football talk it sounds like we could see sean payton back in the nfl before too long so this offseason the miami dolphins we're planning to acquire Tom Brady and Sean Payton. Their plan was to pair Sean Payton as their head coach on a five-year, $100 million contract. That's an expensive offseason. With Tom Brady at quarterback, and that was going to be the way that they moved forward. Alex, if that was the case, it signifies to me that Sean Payton still wants to coach he just doesn't want to coach in New Orleans anymore. It also signifies to me that Tua isn't the quarterback that well, of course, Tyree Kill keeps telling us that he is. <laughs> we knew that. Also, if you can get Tom Brady, I mean, 
I'd rather have Tua. Kind of like the Ryan O'Reilly conversation. I think figure out a way to go get him. (laughs) Where do you think Sean Payton's most likely to end up next year? If we if we just said hypothetical scenario, he's he's going to be back next year. Where do you think he's coaching? Miami. I think if they were going to do it, then they're going to just do it whenever he's available to come back. Not so. So who did they hire as their? Oh, it was your guy. Yeah, I guess. I mean, you're not going to wipe wipe that away that quick after hiring him. So, man, I don't know. Um, can Seattle, I you, maybe? Can I give you my my team? Is it the Kansas City Chiefs? Because they can't afford them. Oh, come on. Yeah, we know better than that. <laughs> Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, if they don't sense. end up having a deep playoff run this year, That's Mike McCarthy one. gets fired. Sean Payton comes back to Dallas where he had coached previously. He has a good relationship with Jerry Jones. I don't know if Jerry's going to be able to or be willing to give him that kind of money because for all the talk about how much Jerry likes to spend, he likes to spend on the stuff that makes him money. He doesn't like to spend cash on Sean the Payton people just, that are involved in the organization. Sean Payton just had a movie about him. You don't think that's going to sell? <laughs> Come on. I, I think Dallas seems to be the one that would make the most sense to me. And if not them, Carolina is the team to watch. Because uh, they've yeah. got an owner that is willing to spend, and he wants to do anything that will get that offense and going. This is a good year upcoming this next draft for quarterbacks, mm-hmm. isn't it? You yep. got a lot of guys that are going to be available that could Alabama's be. got one, Ohio State's got one. You got some guys that Kentucky. probably I think that would make more sense than Dallas because they've got everything they need. You bring in Sean Payton, you draft yourself a quarterback, you have yourself a roster, you could spend some money. That might be the play. Yeah, I think I think that's the place that I would most like to see him. And then the other big news from today, Alex, is that It looks like Robert Quinn, the former St. Louis Ram, now he's up in Chicago, is planning to skip mandatory minicamp. Now, the OTA stuff, that doesn't matter. It's not a big deal. That's all voluntary. I think I'd be skipping everything with the Chicago Bears. Once he gets a mandatory minicamp, though, it's $100,000 if you don't attend. He's got the money. He's got plenty of money. But it does seem like this may be a situation where he's unhappy with the direction of the team. He is no longer a young player. He's over the age of 30. Do you think we see Robert Quinn traded before the start of the season? They already shopped Khalil Mack. He ended up going to the L.A. Chargers. You think we could see Robert Quinn end up traded elsewhere? Yeah. He had 18 sacks last year. I think I think Robert Quinn is looking at the landscape of defensive players who are, one, leaving Chicago, and two, older guys that are going to teams that are fighting for a Super Bowl like Von Miller. Now, Quinn's not Von Miller territory, but you're seeing Khalil Mack go to an aggressive team that can try and win a Super Bowl. You've seen Von Miller. Heck, you saw Melvin Ingram do it from the Chargers to the Kansas City Chiefs and have success. I think you're absolutely looking at Robert Quinn either demanding a trade if he hasn't or showing up to camp and saying, look, I'll play, but I need to be traded within the first six weeks of the season. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see which teams would be willing to do this. We're so far into the offseason now there's not a ton of cap room available for most of these teams if you're looking around uh wondering like hey who who could pull this off the teams with the most cap space currently are the cleveland browns don't think they would make this move but maybe i don't know where he plays the panthers don't think they're in win now mode like that right now the raiders Steelers could be an interesting team. They just lost a defensive lineman to retirement. Maybe they end up going out there and saying, you know what? We want to fortify this defensive line. The Packers are a team that immediately stands out to me. Now they have a pretty good pass rush already, but it's never too, you can never have too much pass rush. 
I'm not going to mention him, but there's a team across the state that also makes a ton of sense if you wanted to look nah, at. He's too much money for Kansas City. Touche. Last thing here, Maybe Alex, Miami. looking at contract situations, there are two guys that are entering the final year of their rookie deals in DK Metcalf and Terry McLaurin, two wide receivers. Scary Terry. Who are trying to get new deals from their current teams, but it doesn't sound like negotiations are going great for either of them. Do you think both will be traded before the start of the season? One of them will be traded before the start of the season or neither? Boy, it's tough to trade both of those. Like those are big names to trade before the the end of the start of the season. But I think both. I mean, Seattle's in tank mode. Washington is the one for me that it's got to think. They they have a team that I feel like can be competitive soon. They just got to figure out their quarterback situation. Kind of important. Kind of important. But they've got weapons on the offensive and defensive side. I'll rescind my first answer and say I think one gets traded. I think it's going to be DK Metcalf. Man, I if one of these guys gets dealt, I, I feel like I can never tell you what the Washington Commanders are doing as a football team. Well, they're trying to figure out what they're doing as a football team now with Jack Del Rio. I feel like the one that ends up getting traded is Terry McLaurin. You really? Know, you know what would make a lot of sense? I think this would change my tune, by the way, of our first question. If the Chicago Bears traded like a second round pick for Terry McLaurin. Oh, that's good for them. That 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 would be a deal that I would love to see. I think it would pa- make a ton think, of sense with Justin Fields. I think the Packers are lurking for mm. DK Metcalf. I or Mary McLaren, but I, I think they're Mar- I said try to say maybe McLaren, but it came out Mary McLaren. <laughs> uh, maybe his mother's name's Mary, I'm not sure. I think I think Green Bay's lurking for DK Metcalf and they're just waiting for them to decide oh, what they're going to do. That makes too much sense. I don't know that Seattle would do it. I don't know that they would trade th- him within think, the same conference. Yeah, but I think you have to. Maybe. Depending on what they offer you. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Grant Francis. I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll have the BK and Ferrario Rewind. But next, Andre Vasilevsky is for the Lightning what this NFL player was for the for his team over the last Tyree 20 years. Tyreek the Chiefs. And it completely changes the way you can build your roster. We'll tell you about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So this Cardinals Pirates game is officially drunk. It's in the, the bottom of the fourth base is loaded drunk on heat. Paul Goldschmidt's up to bat right now. There was a ball call that wasn't, and then it was. It took five minutes to get there. First, Ali Marmol had to come out, and then Derek Shelton had to come out. He said some not-so-kind words that I can't repeat to you right now while we're on the radio. Yeah, we can read lips, guys. Paul Goldschmidt's at the plate, and Alex, they ended up being able to get out of this thing, but I did want to... Oh, oh, they did not get out of this thing. I don't know what's Uh-oh. going on right now. <laughs> this is phenomenal. Oh, boy. We <laughs> have two guys that are hotboxed right now. <laughs> oh, this is amazing. This is terrible for <laughs> it's radio, It's like 150 too. degrees outside, and these there guys are. are trying to sprint their way around the bases. There I were apologize. two hotboxes from second to third and third to home, and Edmundo <laughs> Sosa just slid into home. The only problem was he slid into home in the grass on the far side yeah, of the baseline. Not what you want to do there. So Woof. anyways, I was going to ask you, would you have walked Paul Goldschmidt in that spot? Well, it, bases were loaded. The Cardinals had two outs and you've got Goldie up at the plate who is the hottest hitter in the world with Nolan Arenado coming up after as him. much as I want to say yes. I still have Nolan Arenado after that. Yeah. And Nolan Arenado has had multiple big hits over the last couple of days. That's the danger of this Cardinals lineup. Like, yes, I want to walk Paul Goldschmidt for because the man is two for two today. And one of them's a home run to center field. But and it's the third time that he's faced that specific pitcher, which is when he does most of his damage. I just don't want 
to have to go to Nolan Arenado also. So no, I, I don't. I think you have to take your chances and say, look, you want to be at the majors? Find a way to get through this. They did get out of it. Two nothing right now. Cardinals going into the top of the fifth. All right. So we're going to get to a Ferrario five, the five players who the blues could add this off season to be for them. What Nishushkin and Paul have been for the avalanche and the lightning, the two teams that are now in the Stanley cup final, those guys stepped up in a big way for them this year. And they're both in line to get bigger contracts as a result. Who could the blues get that are basically buy low types of candidates. And these are guys that you're looking at that, you know, might have struggled with their previous team or former teams that you're thinking you could get the best case out of those guys. If you sign them to a contract for maybe a team friendly deal, let's do it. Grant hit the open. You're listening to BK and Ferrario. It's time for the Ferrario Five, a top five list of very random things. So, Ferrario, give us your top five. I missed one of the runs that scored. Yachty ended up scoring on that play somehow, some way, Alex. He did. He got across home plate first. I apologize. It is three to nothing, Cardinals. This game is officially drunk. All right, number five on this list. Max Domi brought this name up before. Brought this name up before, and I don't think people liked it very much, but you got a guy with Carolina this year, only two goals, 18 goals in the last two seasons with the Columbus Blue Jackets, but it's also a guy who scored 28 and 17 with the Montreal Canadiens. This is a guy who was picked 12th overall. I don't know if the Blues even dip their toe into this water, but I like the idea of maybe you buy low with this guy for one year. He's only 27 years old, coming off of a okay performance with Carolina, had six points in 14 games in the playoffs. Maybe you find out you bring a little nastiness to your third line and say, hey, you get back to your 20-goal score form, put yourself in a nice contract situation once again. Max Domi might want to do that, might want to do that for a team like Winnipeg, where he's from, team like Toronto, where his dad played, but... Maybe you could convince somebody like this. This guy brings the nastiness to your team, and he's also got the potential to be a 25-goal scorer. Does he bring nastiness? Oh, yeah. He plays with with an edge. Doesn't he's, hit anybody. Doesn't need to. Hits people after the whistles. Well, and in his best season of his career, he had 28 goals and 82 games with 53 hits on the season. Yeah. So This guy had 102 points in junior hockey. Like He's, he's, a, he's a very good player. Now, he's small. He's a Nathan Walker. I was about to say, I don't build. know that he fits. Oh, he fits because he goes to the front of the net. Okay. If you don't like that one, yeah, yeah. That, I don't think that's my guy. That's fine. Maybe you'll like this one. Also, another member of the Ferrario Five when we did the fourth liners, but he also falls into this category. Nick Bukestad. Currently played for the Minnesota Wild, former 19th overall draft pick by the Florida Panthers. This was a guy that has not scored double digit goals since the 2017 2018 season. Been a minute. But he's also done it four times in his career. He had three consecutive seasons where he scored 16, 24, and 15 goals. He's also six foot six, 209 pounds. There we go. He also plays the center position. This is a guy, ideally, that I could lock up to a cheaper deal because he only had 13 points in 57 games for Minnesota. They didn't even suit him up in the playoffs. But he's also a guy that I think could be that identity piece for a fourth line who's 29 years old, sign him to a one-year contract and say, look, you can still get to the best portion of your career. Maybe we give you one and a half million dollars for a year to play on our fourth line, potentially be a top nine player. But this is a guy who scored 24 goals in a season. He's got offense. 
It's just a matter of he hasn't been utilized correctly, whether it was with Pittsburgh or Minnesota. This one I like better, and I think you could get him for cheap. Like if you gave him a one-year, $1 million deal to be your fourth-line centerman, I'd be fine with something like that. I like this one. Now, you kind of have one of these in Logan Brown. So like you're, you're doubling up on a guy that you'd look at and you say, ah, uh, well, I we- would want him on a deal similar to what you had James Neal on this year, where it's like a, a camp tryout type of a thing. Uh, I don't think he'll Not get a, a camp tryout. Uh, I mean, he's going to get signed by somebody. He's a former 19th overall draft pick. He'll get signed by somebody. It's just a matter of where and who's going to give him the money because someone's going to overpay maybe for him. But if he wants to go to a winning team, I think you could bring him in. Well, I do think the one difference with Bukestad comparing to Brown is Bukestad has a lot of experience and he's got playoff experience. So if you're wanting to bring a veteran presence to that fourth line, there's Mm -hmm. a potential answer. Yeah, you got a 29 year old who's been around, played for some good teams, and you're going to put him with two younger players on the wings. I think that could be beneficial. By the way, again, six foot six. Uh, Number three on this list, I like this one, Evan Rodriguez. Now, I don't know because this is kind of the reverse. He's had rough years prior to this season where he played really well for Pittsburgh. Uh, He was on Pittsburgh this year. They signed him. He got 19 goals in 82 games in the regular season and then had five points in seven games. This is also a smaller stature guy, but this is a guy that I think could play fourth line a role for you, bring some offense, but he's also a guy who scored nearly 20 goals this season with the Pittsburgh Penguins who can also move up and down if you want to. Damn. This is one of those guys I think he's take a chance on, but the problem is I wonder if he banks on having a good season with Pittsburgh. I don't know if somebody would overpay for him, but... I think this is also a guy that could bring you an identity. Also a veteran who's been around for a while, uh, played with Ryan O'Reilly in Buffalo, by the way. And then, of course, the last three seasons played with Sidney Crosby and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Looks like he's a strong player defensively as well. The, the one question that I've got, or one of the questions that I have about the Blues offseason additions, especially as we're looking to that fourth line role, we saw how hesitant Craig Berube was this year with Nathan Walker because of his lack of size. And he wants that fourth line to be a line that does bring that physicality to the game. He wants them to have a very specific identity. And if you're not going to have that as a player, and I'm not saying that's a an issue for a lot of teams, but it might be here for the role that they want those guys to have. I like the idea of Rodriguez if it's coming at a, at a reasonable cost. I don't know how he would fit with what Craig Burby wants from his fourth line. Well, and this, this one doesn't really fall into that category of Valerie Nachushkin because I don't think he's a 25 goal scorer but what I do think is you get 15 goals maybe 10 goals if you're playing him on the fourth line 15 if you move him up a little bit he's one of those replaceable players that can jump in if you need to he's the depth piece that maybe starts on the fourth line but can play top nine if you sure. need him to the next two and Jesse Puyi number two on this list we've already talked about him I think this guy could be a 25 30 goal scorer on a different team not named the Edmonton you know how much I love that idea love the guy love the guy but I also love this one too and originally I didn't think of his name because I was like I don't really know but now I've sold myself even more on him Victor Rask so he's played with the Minnesota Wild the previous four seasons Grant that likes it over here got Grant, interesting. Grant had audible uh, yeah he played the first Five seasons with the Carolina Hurricanes, teammate with Justin Falk. 
the last four seasons with the Minnesota Wild, and he was traded traded this season to the Seattle Kraken for future considerations. Never reached his peak with the Minnesota Wild. Was very good for Carolina. Had 21 goals one season, had 16 and 14 the next two. This is the guy that if you don't go get Puyi Arvi, this is the guy that I think you can turn into and also Valerie Nachushkin. I think this is a 20-goal score. I think this guy, who is six foot two, 199 pounds, can play the third-line center position for you, can play the fourth-line center position for you, can play the wing if you need him to. I think this is a guy that you can buy low on and you can get a lot of production on for one season. 29 years old, might not be breaking the bank for this season, but if you get one good year out of him, he might be able to get paid and you might benefit from having a guy provide you a 25 goal scoring season. He's coming off of a six year deal worth $24 million. Now he's not going to get that given what his production has been no, over the last few years. He had scored a lot of goals with the Carolina Hurricanes when he got that deal. What do you think he's going to be looking for? Because I think that would determine what my level of interest is. I, I think you could probably get somebody like this for maybe a one year, $3 million, $2 million contract. I think there are other options available to me this offseason for that kind of money that I would rather have. Maybe. I would even rather have Puyarvi than Victor Rask. Well, Puyarvi, you're going to have to trade something for Understood, but I think I would rather do that and give up the asset and trade as opposed to having to go out and sign Victor Rask for two and a half plus million dollars. Yeah, I, I don't even know if he gets two and a half plus. I, I think he might get two or less. Grant, where are you at on him? I don't dislike the idea of Victor Ash. That's not a good start. I don't know if I'm sold on him. Uh, I kind of agree. I think Pugliarvi would be a better option. I also think some of the other guys we've talked about a bit would be better options as well. But I think I think Vic, Victor Ash, like you said, he, he did play well in Carolina, especially in his early years. I think he could be advantageous with a team like the Blues, and I think he could have some of his best uh, years with the Blues. I just don't know if I really like where his career has been going. But the good thing about that, like you said, is you can get him for cheaper because of that. I like Pooey Yarvey better. Me too. But I didn't want to put him number one because I've already had him like number one on my list two or three times. Victor Rask was like, they're tied for first. If you'd like to say that's not even true. Pooey Yarvey's a 30 goal score. I just think he's got to get out of Edmonton. Were people looking at Nick Paul the way that we're talking about some of these guys, though? No. I guess that would be my question. I don't think Nick Paul's a 20-goal scorer. I think Nick Paul's probably like a 15-goal scorer, but Nick Paul's a very good defensive. Nick Paul's like a lesser version of Pavel Buchnevich. You're not going to get the offense, but you're going to get shorthanded playtime, and you're going to the front of the net. That's not what I mean. What I mean is, like, when we're talking about Nick Paul and Nushushkin, those guys are now viewed as really good players that everybody would like to have, of course. But if we were talking about Nick Paul when we were coming into the 2021 season, so prior to this last year, I probably would have had the same reaction to him that I'm having to some of the guys that you're telling me about right now. Mm -hmm. Because Nick Paul, prior to this year, here's his goals per year. Two, zero, one, one, nine, five. Yep. That's over the course of his first six years of his NHL career. At 18 goals in 168 games, he was a minus 14 on the ice. So... Keep that in the back of your mind as you hear some of these recommendations that Alex has for you that are potential buy low candidates. 
yeah, they might not sound super sexy right now, but when you look at the teams that are now playing for the Stanley Cup final, they had guys like this that they bought low on, mm-hmm. and eventually they became important pieces. And these guys to on this list Stanley Cup contender are guys that know they have not had good seasons, and rather than get paid a lot of money and go somewhere where the expectations are high, maybe you go spend one season just to go somewhere where you can kind of fly under the radar, sign cheaper, have a shot at a Stanley Cup and then get paid the next offseason. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed any of the Ferrario 5 or anything else from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Coming up on the other side, I want to give some credit to one of the young players for what we just saw in the Cardinals game. Got to give him some credit for his heady play, and we will also talk a little more about Paul Goldschmidt, what he's been able to accomplish so far this year. Coming up next, you're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. and mobile app is loaded with some awesome giveaways this month if you already have the app make sure to check out the rewards section you'll see all the giveaways that are available over there if you don't have it yet though get it go do it now download it get registered this is your chance to win a thousand dollars in cash a portable traeger grill a rolling yeti cooler and a sign Ryan O'Reilly jersey and so what? much more. If I'm not mistaken, I think they've got a, uh, a golf bag too. A solo stove, which is uh, one of those. Oh, it's the smokeless fire pit. Yeah, we just got one. It's yeah. it's legit. I, I didn't buy it. Kara ended up getting it. And I was like, there's no way this actually does anything. I'm more looking at that rolling tailor-made golf bag. That it, would be nice. It's worth it. So go check that out right now. Sign up if you haven't done so already. 101 ESPN app as part of App Madness in the month of June. Alex, I want to give a lot of credit to Nolan Gorman. In the last inning, it it was madness. It was just crazy the way that it worked. But he got himself into a rundown. And if you haven't seen the play, I would recommend checking it out. Paul Goldschmidt hits one up the middle. There's two outs, bases loaded, bottom of the fourth inning, 2-2 pitch. So he hits it up the middle. It ends up being a, a bouncer to shortstop. He's got a tough play, but a play that probably expected to be made uh, dishing it over to second base. Nolan Gorman beats it out and keeps running to be able to get into a, um, a rundown. And what that allows him to do is it allows a runner to score. So the Cardinals go up three to nothing. The problem was the runner in front of him, who was Edmundo Sosa. I don't think he recognized what was happening behind him with Nolan Gorman trying to get into the rundown. So he took too long to adjust to it. But Nolan Gorman scored a run, essentially, Mm -hmm. in that last inning. That is such a heads-up play as a base runner. And we've talked about how Gorman, the the real value that he brings to your team is with his bat. But that is a a really heads-up play that if this ends up being a game that the Cardinals, it's decided by one run later. Don't forget about that because that's a run that was essentially manufactured by specifically Nolan Gorman. That's why it's so hard for me as much as we get into the Paul DeYoung conversation and bringing him back up. It's so hard for me to look at it and say, yeah, well, because a lot of people hear Nolan Gorman's name and say, well, he's not hitting lefties and he's struggling against righties. Like, why don't you just send him down and let him get more reps? Because of plays like that. 
the guy has proven that he can play at the major league level. Defensively, I think he's been improving at second base. And the more reps, the better. Like, if you give the guy more reps against lefties, even Ali Marmol was like, yeah, we probably should have let him just swing at that one rather than pull him out for Bader. You're going to improve here. I just... As much as you benefits a guy to go down to Memphis if he's struggling in the major leagues and go down and just get right and get a little bit more confidence, when you make plays like that, it showcases that you deserve to be at the major league level. And I just think right now, when you got a top prospect like Nolan Gorman, let the kid go. Just let him keep performing. The other guy that we got to give a lot of credit for so far, and the Cardinals are up three to nothing through through uh, the middle of six innings, so five and five and a half innings now. Goldie is two for three on the day. He scored a run. He has driven in three. He is now batting on the season 340. He has a 612 slugging percentage on the year, Alex. I looked this up earlier today. Paul Goldschmidt is now on pace to hit better than 300 with more than 40 doubles and more than 30 home runs. The entire list and the entire history of Cardinals baseball to do that 300 batting average for a season with 40 or more doubles and 30 or more home runs. It is two players long, Albert Pujols and Stan Musial. And we could see, based on his current pace, Paul Goldschmidt added to that list also, at the end of the year. props to Matthew Libertor. Yeah. Five innings, no runs against the Pirates, and despite all of us for. saying that he wasn't ready. Got, gotta love to see it. With Alex Ferrario yes. and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 a.m. Looking forward to the fast lane coming up next here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.